that. I, can you imagine having a belly that large? Like both of them, Stu and Frank, just have gargantuan. Like, uh, what's it called? What's um, a fupa? No, what is it? It's yeah, fupa. fupa. It's a fupa. fupa. Yeah. yeah, fupa. Like they yeah. just got massive fupas. Is that I mean, what you said, Mo? I missed it. Is that what you said you're going to look like in Miami? As, no, I said as soon as we, Miami's done, I'm going full Frank the Tank. I don't even care. How you looking these days? Beach ready? Like a female MMA fighter, baby. Exactly <laughs> what I'm going for. A little little pudgy around the edges, but maybe maybe, maybe an N NWHL player is a better analogy. Probably. Like a like a fine lesbian. <laughs> we, we we missed you last night. I missed you guys too. It feels like I've been going forever. So uh, I, I want to hear um, how our little uh, tool boy Scotty was. Well, we're not going to give it away because I am. Gonna well, they're going to they're going to listen to this after they listen to the recording. No, so I'm going to put it's I'm, this I'm, before the recording. Yeah, I'm going to put the the um, interview at the end of this episode. At the end. Yeah. Yeah. Because you haven't heard it yet, so hear. you can't react to it. Once you hear it, we can talk about it tomorrow, and you can tell us what you or next time we record, you can tell us what we think. But All right. We're not going to talk people, about it now. You got to hope people listen through the whole thing. Oh, I mean. The, do I really care if they listen to the Scott Newman interview? I mean, full disclosure, we'll say right now, like I, I, you know, we would have never, ever done that interview if we weren't emailed and asked to do it. And we exactly. got emailed by a <laughs> random fucking PR company. But the fact um, that this dude has a PR company working for him, he's what, like 18 years old with no job and somehow has a PR firm. Hey, he's, he's a, he's a good friend of Adam and ours now. So watch yeah, come say. on, man, watch it. He's a friend of the program. You like his? Did he do video or just audio when he called in? No video. Did video. So you guys although, get to see him. Although Adam, for you, was it like super lagged? It was wicked lagged. Like yeah. he was talking, and then like what his mouth was doing, like it was like honestly thirty seconds back. It yeah, was like thirty really. seconds off. Yeah, it, it was, was kind of weird to watch. So it was annoying at yeah. times yeah. listening and then watching him. If homeboy's um, such a baller, should invest in some fucking high speed internet. I, I will say though, the only thing I will say about it is. I think I got to give him credit where credit's due. I think he came off better than his image leads. Yeah, totally. You know, people to, that, to think about him. That's encouraging. It yeah, certainly so. wasn't his first interview. Obviously, I mean, he's definitely done several interviews before. He he was he was pretty well put together overall with his answers. Did he show his fucking scrunchies that he wears around his wrist and his leopard pants? He he did not, but there it, that doesn't mean he wasn't wearing them. But yeah, I mean, it was, it's, you know, for the listeners out there, it's definitely worth a listen, but right, so, only, so, only because we've never done an interview before. Yeah. You can see how bad we are at it. I will play <laughs> one clip. How about that? Deal. Deal. This is my, this is my favorite clip from the show. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So actually you kind of stole one of the answers to a question asking about the, uh, you know, why a 22 year old would write a memoir just cause I have a, I have a younger brother. He's, he'll be 20 soon. And, um, Tyler has a younger brother is around your age right now and, or a little older than that. So it just made me think that it's just, when I look, when I look at memoirs that have been written, usually they're people who, you know, are critically acclaimed celebrities or, you know, had some something happen like traumatic in their life that they were able to survive and have an experience and a story to tell. So it was a little not alarming in a negative sense, but it was puzzling to to us when we saw that, you know, somebody who's almost a decade younger than us feels that, hey, I I, I have a story to tell 
and it, it's worth sharing. So I, I thought that was interesting initially reading through uh, what, you know, what, what your book was all about. Um, but you'd certainly, yeah, absolutely. Oh, sorry. Continue. No, 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 no. I, you continue. <laughs> all right. Is that a good tease? Laugh it up, Jared. Laugh it up. <laughs> <laughs> what was the Jared question? was waiting to burst out laughing. It wasn't a question. It was because I was going to ask a question that he kind of answered. So I was just elaborating on that. Yeah, I think, when, I, I think I knew, by the time you started. As, as soon as Tyler said I have something, there, I knew I, was, <laughs> I could have put, I would have put all my money that Tyler was going to bring that part up because well, that is you know a me small well. snippet of the entire interview. But I did I, ramble a little bit. Obviously. Well, yeah, because I think you started like asking the question and I think you realized as soon, after you started, you're like, I guess you kind of already answered this. So you well, ended no, up I, having to I, change it into a statement as opposed to a question definitely overblown but i knew he had answered the question but i was kind of prepared to ask it so i just kind of was trying to elaborate on what i was going to say but yeah it wasn't smooth it was not smooth the, hey, re- the rest of the interview was much for, better for, than that. first interview i can only go up from here I, I, thought, I, I thought we did great i think if there's any reason to listen to it is to see how we do with an actual interview i thought it went well i mean he uh, he rambled like once. It was some like weird story that I don't think was great. It wasn't very climactic, but well, um, I, I think the story job. could have been a lot better. And you and I, you and I said this tie if he just told it a little better. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Because it, it was an interesting story. I thought just his delivery was. was Ironically, he's got to get a little bit better at storytelling. Yeah, there's no chance he wrote his book. Guarantee he had a ghostwriter do it. This Easy, rich little Jared. boy. He was just a fucking Jesus. guest on the show. <laughs> My <laughs> God. Just bad. Fuck as you, if, Scotty boy. This might be our last interview because of Jared's comments, his hostility right now towards the PR our person is probably going to want to hear the episode. Uh, do you think they, well, they actually might listen? Yeah, and they've got one of the hosts saying, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't hear anything about the interview and immediately just listened to it yet. So these are, um, I'm just judging a book by its cover. Pun not intended. Um, so we've got a we got a, a decent amount. We really didn't talk too too much about um, content before the show today, but um, I kind of had a bunch of stuff spill over from from our last podcast. So um, my list, my quick rundown is as follows: I got to play some press secretary sound that I did not play last time. That's funny. Uh, we're going to talk about two K checks uh, or. Should I say $2,000 checks? Um, AOC, San Francisco, uh, a little more CNN, and then football. Football. Super Bowl week. Super Bowl Can we skip to football? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fuck all that other stuff. Also, I got Stay Woke stuff at the end, too. I got another segment for that. All right, sweet. Um, So, yeah, I didn't play this because we talked a little bit about her last week. And this first clip is fucking awesome, but it's really more of an indictment on the person asking the question than than Jen. But uh, the the press secretary's response, yeah, it's it's uh, it's rough. A lighter note: uh, Will he keep Donald Trump's Air Force One color scheme change? This is such a good question. I have not had the opportunity to dig into that today, um, given the number of executive actions, orders, the inauguration, a few things happening. Um, I will venture to get you an answer on that, and maybe we can talk about it in here tomorrow. Big J right right there. 
Good, good. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to the uh, edge of my seat. The the circle back. Such a good question. Yeah, and uh, th- this was awesome. What loser too. reporter I- asks that? I know that's what I mean. It's way more on the reporter in that clip yeah. than, than her. Because oh, for sure. Like, how do you how do you walk out of there feeling good about your job and what you did today if you just ask that question? There's a lot of dummies out there, man. A lot of people are so socially unaware. I mean, that it was incredible. And, and this, we all had talked about, but I mean, this, like, this was going on, like, during, you know, a number of things, right? I mean, COVID relief is, is the, the, the biggest topic, you know, in our country. You know, nothing can, you know, still seems to be able to get done. Uh, we had the whole uh, Wall Street fiasco, right, which drew a ton of attention politically uh, and otherwise. Um, so we had a lot going on last week. And, uh, you know, the, the administration doesn't has their other priorities. I just that. one other question. Um, the Trump administration, the, the Obama administration initially had wanted to put Harriet Tubman on the $20 mm-hmm. bill. Um, the uh, Trump administration dragged their feet on that. I wanted to see if the Biden administration has a sort of view of the timeline on whether or not she should be um, on the paper currency. I was here when we when we announced that, and it was very exciting. It hasn't moved forward yet, which we would have been surprised to learn at the time. The Treasury Department is taking steps to resume efforts to put Harriet Tubman on the front of the new $20 notes. Uh, it's important uh, that our notes, our, our, our money, uh, people don't know what a note is, uh, reflect the history and diversity of our country. And Harriet Tubman's image, gracing the new $20 note would certainly reflect that. So we're exploring ways to speed up that effort, but any specifics would, of course, come from the Department of Trade. So again, foreign stuff. Priorities aligned. I do remember hearing about this, like, in the middle of Trump's presidency. I don't remember that. Yeah, I just, and the only reason I remember is because colleagues of mine discussed it. And personally, like, they could put, a fucking like they can put like the Geico gecko on the currency. I don't give it like who the fuck cares about nobody dude. current. Well, apparently some people do because it was a big push to get Andrew Jackson out. I think he's on the what is he on the 20 he's or on the, 20? Yeah. Yeah. Get him out of the $20 bill and then replace it with Harriet Tubman. And obviously that would create, you know, a, a, a movement to remove pretty much every other person, probably other than Lincoln or Washington. But it's crazy how this has become like a major talking point with everything yeah, else going I mean, it, on. It, right it's, now. it does fall into that category of things. It's like, okay, great. Like, I mean, if awesome. they did that tomorrow, but, but again, it's like, awesome. But right, if not, like, sure. who gives a fuck? But it's like, again, like, and maybe this is this again, this clip is more so on the reporter asking the question, but like, how is that a question that you're asking in right now, today? Or, the, you know, this was yeah. last week. Like, I, I, how was that? Have you been I mean, getting he, any tough questions at all? Um, I think so. What I heard was um, that they're doing a lot of, like, the gathering of the questions beforehand. And so I think they can kind of, like, pick and choose who they're going to call on. So I think they only give someone, like, you know, from Fox probably one question. Yeah. Uh, I think she's gotten questions here or there. Um, but... You know, it, it, as you know, it's not very uh, adversarial in there. So a lot of talk. I think I, I saw six or seven different answers 
where she started the answer with, let's also reflect on how many minority people we put in cabinet positions or reflect on how many executive actions we just passed. Like she yeah. started every answer with that. Yeah. And uh, this was great too. And, and this is funny just because if you think about what the media would say, if this cut that I'm about to play was Kaylee McEnany, and this was basically the answer she was giving to almost every question you asked, like this would be topic number one, you know, for the night for, you know, the CNN and MSNBCs of the world. I can, I'll circle back if there's more I can share with you. I'll circle back with you if there's more to convey. Um, I'll have to just circle back with you. We can circle back with him. I'm happy to circle back with you. I can circle back. Uh, I will have to circle back on that one. That's an excellent question. Oh, such an important question. Uh, we will circle back with you and we'll, we'll circle back with you. It's an interesting question, but uh, we'll, we'll circle back. I'm happy to circle back, but I'll have to circle back with you on it. It's a good question, but we'll circle back with you on this today. We will certainly circle back with you more directly. Uh, I hate to disappoint you, but I will have to circle back with you on that as well. <laughs> Sounds like somebody who did not do their homework trying to talk about their book report or something. And it's like, look, it's a fine answer, but it's like that was January 26th. So that clip came out. So that's what five days. That's yeah. a week's worth of circling back. Yeah. That's a little much. <laughs> it's like polar opposite to Kaylee McEnany where like she was so confrontational on any answer and we kind of give a bullshit answer for anything. Right. And this girl's like apologetic. Say great answer to stupid questions. Like, can we just have somewhere in the middle? I was going to say, like, which good, good plugs would you rather have, I guess? Would you rather Neither. have McEnany? Just, yeah. Well, but if, you got to have one or the other. Like, would you rather have someone just spew bullshit out of their mouth and like almost every time someone asks like a difficult question or would you rather have someone just say, I'll get back to you on that or just applaud you on your question? We, we, we'd probably want the I'll circle back with you. It's it's probably better than the yeah. I think so that too. McEnany what's, had. What's this lady's name? Press. Do you guys know? Yeah, Jen Saki. Jen, like even Jen Saki, she's still giving us this candy coated bullshit. Yeah, it's all bullshit, right? It's, yeah, it's just, it's just bullshit with a little bit of sugar on top. So I think I still at first, right? I think I'd still rather have a Saki. Type of, yeah, if you're gonna make a me choose, bomb, then a, have a Saki bomb than a McEnany shitstorm. So I, I, t <laughs> I told you guys, I uh, I kind of hate listening to Pod Save America. Um, like I, I just like to kind of hear what the. I, I view them very much in, in the lens of like they are establishment Democrat. Yeah. Like they are just the, the me, like a media arm of, of the Democratic establishment in my eyes, just be, based on like what I listen to when I'm, you know, tuning into that show. Um, and they're like buddies with Jen Psaki and they had her on. There's just like the, like everything they do is just the most like kiss ass bullshit fluff. It's unbelievable. Have you guys ever listened to any of that? No, from them? I have no interest. I mean, I, I yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. Is it like, I'm assuming it's like listening to MSNBC. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yep, they were their three former Obama, um, you know, uh, members of the administration are like super low level. I don't know what you call them, but yeah, I mean, they, their their entire goal is just to spin everything in Biden's favor. And so that brings us to $2,000 checks, which I don't know. What do you think, Mo? Are we giving this enough attention here on this podcast? I don't think so. We really haven't talked much about it, right? No, dude. We, we haven't talked much about, because there hasn't been much activity to talk about, but the relief 
or I should say response to COVID so far. We're how many days into the presidency? Yeah, almost um, three weeks now, right? So we'll say 21 days, call it close to that 20 days. And we haven't had much to talk about. Yeah. I mean, what, what do you think about Adam? I'll let you go first. Like in terms of the lack of urgency? Just, yeah, the state of where we are right now. Yeah, I mean, I think the the way that the Biden administration prior to the election obviously made things seem like they were going to be super streamlined and immediate response to the the pandemic. And I think obviously, I, I, I don't know, I, and maybe this is just hindsight talking, but I think we all know that things don't happen as fast as they should, regardless of, of who's in the Oval Office or who's in Congress or, the, or, you know, anything like that. Yeah. But when you go back and you, and, and more specifically focus on like the, the Georgia Senate runoffs, I've seen so many compilations of the comp- press conferences between like Osof and uh, Kamala and Biden. Oh, don't worry. And, I've got it for the people. Yeah. I, I, so I, like just, got it. they're all saying the exact, and I don't know if you want me to keep going, if you're going to play it, but like they no, all were saying the exact same thing about like, Hey, if you guys vote these two in, we'll be getting those $2,000 checks out to you. And they just keep saying over and over and over again. And obviously in the end, we know it's not going to be like, all right, January 21st, boom, checks are out, you know, checks are heading to the mailboxes, no. but it, it's, it, it's very frustrating because I think if Biden stopped and said like, Hey, let's, I mean, we're hearing stuff with COVID relief right now, but I feel like this stuff could get a lot more streamlined if they really wanted it to be, but because yeah. they're just playing politics, it's not. Before the um, inauguration, Marco Rubio sent a letter to Biden asking for a bipartisan bill to be passed for $2,000 standalone checks and only $2,000 checks because it had bipartisan support. And the Democrats just chose to say, nah, we're good, man. We don't want to actually do that. Yeah. And they, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll get into it more here, but they should have just done that, right? Passed the bill, got everybody their check. Make everybody and then happy. go through fucking bu- bu- uh, budget reconciliation for the rest of what they wanted to do. Yeah, like they should have done initial, like already. Like I'm all for them doing that. They could, they could still do it tomorrow if they wanted yeah, to. Yeah, there's nothing stopping them. And it's a long process, from everything I understand. It, it's certainly not. Yeah, not the budget overnight. reconciliation. I just mean the checks. Like they could still do a bipartisan oh, yeah. for the checks tomorrow if they wanted to. Yep. Um, but you know, again, that that biden's gonna fucking look like a fool if he all he tries to do is be bipartisan because i don't think the republicans are negotiating in good faith with like a, a six six yeah. hundred billion dollar plan like <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I just literally don't, one third the like, size of the proposed plan aren't we so far past like you know budget you know deficit hawking and con, yeah, con, you know I mean, caring about how much you spend like it's, it's not real dude serious Trump had the biggest deficit, annual deficit, even before COVID, ever. And the Republicans have fully endorsed it. It's all uh, a charade. Yeah. It's a, and like, I, what, and like, what, I don't want to support term? it, but like, because I, I would have to imagine it's not good to like, oh, all that debt, yeah. you know, but I agree. When, when it comes down to issues like this, this is exactly where we shouldn't be concerned about how much fucking money we spend. But it's of course, easy. yeah, well, of course, when it comes to this, everyone's concerned, but you know, I mean, we spend fucking. God knows how many billions or trillions every year in defense and no one fucking bats an eye. 
wouldn't it make sense for like the like like you're saying jared like if they really wanted to and they put all their resources and all their focus on the checks they they could get that out there in, in relatively little time wouldn't it make sense to just come out of the gates hot and just get that done within the first couple weeks and then it kind of overshadows like some of like the the craziness with like the i think he's already signed in more executive orders in the first month of a presidency in history. Um, like, and people are, you know, you know, kind of bringing up the fact that like, Oh, he used to say that passing executive legislation through executive orders is, is like the act of a dictator. And he's done the exactly. Yeah. What, you know, he said he would not do like, why not pass the checks and let that overshadow some other things that are like iffy. Like, I don't understand. It, what it makes no sense, dude. It, it's yeah. like, it's almost too easy of a slam dunk where like it's the only explanation is that the Democrats don't actually want to do this. Like to go from the promise of instant $2,000 checks, you could have had it if you wanted to then $1,400 checks in a bipartisan bill with a bunch of stuff that you know will never pass. And now it's down to $1,400 checks for people who make 50 grand and below. That's the latest. Yeah, I I did see that. Wasn't that the Republican proposal? Um, and I think that now the Republican proposal was even less money than that. that no, I thought I, that I came... thought the Democratic one was like a, it was like a hundred thousand yeah. dollars or under. I'm pretty sure that there were. The I Democrats read something were... today that um, either Biden or somebody else said that they would consider going down to that level of means testing. So yeah, and here's the fucking problem I have with means testing is like there's. Like, what if you lost your job and hadn't filed for unemployment yet? Dude, it it's, makes no sense. Yeah. What you made in 2019 for yeah, a tax like year it, has nothing to do with your current situation. Right. Like, you so could like, be a business I, owner who made a quarter million dollars in 2019, and you're struggling to put food on your table right now. Yeah, because I, I think, like, I, we had... I taught you had said it on one of these podcasts where you're like, look, no matter how much money you're making, you're, you're living check to check or yeah. maybe it wasn't this podcast, but it was another, but you know, yeah, just, you know, it doesn't mean that that person shouldn't get a relief check, right? They still lost a job. It doesn't matter how much they used to make. Yeah. Two years ago. How much? Yeah. Right. Totally so, irrelevant at this yeah, point. Yeah. I, I have a, I have a huge problem with means testing it down and down. Cause that was a, I was a huge proponent of that. Like it, it was, you know, a huge thing for me to say, like, why are we giving money to people who don't need it? Right. That seems wasteful. And you can argue in a sense, right. To some degree. Okay, sure. It is. I mean, some people might just take that 2000 bucks and put it in their savings, but you know, it, it, like if it's you're, now they're going to make us choose between either some people get it that don't deserve it or nobody gets it. It's like, well, it's an obvious fucking choice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading a, a tweet from the, the, the Democrats. Um, POTUS will build on the $600 down payment provided by Congress last year, sending an additional $1,400 to households across America, totaling direct payments to $2,000 per person. I, I just don't get why. Like, what made you change your tune? Like, what makes you, you so say John against... You Reverend Washington, those $2,000 che checks it. will go out the door. We will be able to pass $2,000 stimulus checks. Now, this is all a supercut of John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock on the campaign trail. And this was their number one message. 
for the people next week. We'll deliver the $2,000 stimulus checks. And that begins with the $2,000 stimulus. When you send me and Reverend Warnock to the Senate, we will pass those $2,000 stimulus checks. You send me and Reverend Warnock to the Senate, we will pass those $2,000 stimulus checks. They will make decisions about whether we get people a $2,000 check. We need to pass $2,000 stimulus checks for the people. We're getting people the $2,000 in relief, direct payment. Congress should pass $2,000 checks. President-elect Biden and Democrats are all pushing for $2,000 relief checks. So I think that gets gets the point across there. If they're truly all pushing for it, then why That's a we, fucking lie is what it is. Yeah, yeah. A right. fucking lie. And I'm going to let uh, Crystal Ball um, give us a rundown of why... You know, it is a lie, right? And despite what some media outlets are trying to tell you. So this is honestly kind of incredible. The media carrying water for Joe Biden in a new fact check about those $2,000 checks that were repeatedly promised would go out immediately uh, if Democrats won both of those Senate seats in Georgia. So this is Newsweek. Let's throw this up on the screen. They say Joe Biden critics falsely claim the president lied about $2,000 stimulus checks. Huh, that's really interesting because uh, as far as I can tell, $2,000 checks haven't gone out, number one. Number two, they've been knocked down to $1,400 and immediately has somehow turned into maybe in March, maybe in April, um, and we're open to further negotiations. Just for memory's sake, so that I don't think I'm going crazy, let's take a listen to what Joe Biden actually said in Georgia about those checks. By electing John and the Reverend, you can make an immediate difference in your own lives, the lives of the people all across this country, because their election will put an end to the block in Washington on that $2,000 stimulus check. That money that will go out the door immediately. Tell people who are in real trouble. Immediately. $2,000. Interesting. I mean, the funny thing too, Sagar, is when I read through this Newsweek piece, I was like, I wonder what they're going to say to justify this. And they actually don't really explain how his critics are falsely claiming this. Um, they don't really do much to dispel. They, they actually... Re report on those exact comments he made in Georgia. So how do those comments, $2,000 immediately, square with the fact that we're not getting $2,000 and it's not happening immediately? It just seems like pretty straightforward to me. <laughs> that was great. So since uh, Newsweek, who released that article trying to say that critics of his falsely claimed that he lied about it, uh, they corrected that story. I'm looking at the tweet now. It now reads Joe Biden critics claim uh, Joe Biden's critics claim president lied about $2,000 checks. And then under it says correction. This article has been updated with further context regarding uh, Biden's comments in Atlanta. The headline was corrected to remove the word falsely. <laughs> Such a fucking joke. Such a fucking joke. I think like my macro analysis of this situation here is it's either the Democratic Party is beyond incompetent, like more incompetent than we could ever dream of, or they have some influence just like telling them and controlling them to refuse to do anything for working class people, which makes them a complete charade. Like if they 
don't seriously meet the challenge of COVID head on with stimulus checks, COVID relief and economic relief and a, a good vaccine plan. Like I think this is the death of the democratic party. I really do. Yeah. yeah I think the, the only they just won reason, the popular vote by like 8 million votes. That, that was because of Donald Trump. That was because of social justice warriors saying Donald Trump's fascist, racist, et cetera. There's a reason Donald Trump was elected in the first place. Well, right? those people aren't going anywhere, though, right? I mean, they're not going to all of a sudden flip sides. But I think they can open and see that, open up their eyes and see that, like, everything that you're being told and believing is complete bullshit like this is literally turning into 08 all over again 08 obama's first task was supposed to be um stimulus for the 2008 recession right the financial crisis he passed as it was like 700 billion all in 700 billion with 500 billion going to the banks didn't prosecute anybody no relief for anybody else and then his second pass was supposed to be um health and he passed what we currently have as obamacare which is just a disaster and makes billions for the healthcare industry. Like it's all of those decisions of after Obama said, hope change this, that they made everybody vote for Donald Trump. And it's yeah, happening. But normal all people over don't again. understand like those things that you just brought up about Obama or, or I, I think or people are becoming him. more and more aware. Like there wasn't, and not that many people listen to the rising, but there wasn't the rising. There wasn't Kyle Kalinske, Jimmy Dore, Justin Jackson, like listening to that podcast. It's certainly not the masses yet, but I think people are having, you know, the Wizard of Oz. What's what do they call that scene where the guy's behind the curtain? Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah, that Wizard of that was his name, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, exactly. That's, I haven't seen that movie in like twenty years. That's literally who it is. <laughs> They're finding out it's the Wizard of Oz. It's it's a it's bullshit behind a curtain. So you think? I, ho- I hope I'm wrong. I hope that they rise to the challenge. But this is an awful start. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hope they do too. Um, but yeah, like, I don't they know. Be this incompetent? I don't know. I don't know. Um, like they're negotiating with themselves right now, continuing basically, right? Because there's no real need for them to negotiate with Republicans. Anything, dude. The, the Aside only from thing, optics, do, do, which, do you, I was just like, gonna say, like, I think it looks good that he's taking. I don't. I don't think it does look those. good. I think I, Biden thinks it. Looks I, I good. think. I think bipartisanship does look good in some sense i'm not saying it's like not when it comes to cutting down a stimulus bill i don't like people would right, rather have do, a partisan plan that gives a lot of people relief than you know some no no no, no. Yeah, I'm, not, BS. I'm, I'm not saying that bipartisanship in, in terms of like pass like negotiating down i just think that him honestly my opinion is bringing bringing those 10 senators to the white house to talk to them is mostly just as Ty said, for optics and just for image and, and just to show people, Hey, look me, like I'm, I'm going to be the, 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 the great mediator that I, I was advertised as being between the two parties. I mean, I, I can't imagine that they're going to get talked down from like the 1.9 trillion to anything close that the Republicans well, that, are. That's kind of my point though, is like to take a meeting and discuss a $600 billion plan. It's like for two why, hours. Why? Why? Because to the average person, it looks good. So people who look into it more, it doesn't really do anything. To, to me, it's Biden being way too nice. Like if the tables were turned and when the Republicans were in power, they laugh at you when you come to them with something that they don't want. And yeah, they, you rise what, to what, what was they Trump's want. big thing, right? He's going to uh, dismantle Obamacare. What was the first fucking thing he did? Pass an executive order to try and 
you know, re- repeal. Uh, yeah, like Obamacare. the Republicans are much better assholes. We've talked about this before. Yeah. They don't care. They, they, they get what they want. Um, and I, and the Democrats kind of need a little bit of that right now. Well, they, they have it in the sense that they want to, like, call you racist and they want to you know, <laughs> yeah. paint you as an awful person. But then when it comes to, like, doing what they say they want to do, they're just weak. I don't really understand it. It makes no sense, dude. They're they're no weak sense. when when they're as strong as they've as they've been in the government in a long, long time in terms like, of power in Congress and obviously Biden in the Oval Office. Uh, other than maybe like some some concessions to some of the more conservative Democrats, they could pass that one point nine trillion dollar bill as is, and they could have started passing it three weeks ago. Right with what the reconciliation they could. Yeah, they, they can't could, pass they it through pass regular it order. This, they, they yeah, can they pass could, it exactly. through a they simple majority. The process, right? Exactly. Three weeks ago. Like, yeah, and I don't know what well, they're fucking waiting for. Just put it on the clock now. I think I, Sager I think they, said that. They either it's either extreme incompetence or they don't really want these things. It's all a charade. We want you to think that we're fighting for fifteen dollar minimum wage. This, that, this, that, but they don't really want it to pass. That wouldn't instead surprise me at all either. Instead, he's busy signing executive orders to lower price you know raise prices on epinephrine and life-saving in- insulin and, yeah, and do, doing things weird. for for the no. trans for, for the transgender community which is which is fine but like not really here. though not that part i don't agree with that at all well like, no as I, liberals i, I can be well, on the transgender stuff. or the epinephrine <laughs> well, no what i'm saying is, <laughs> is that wildly I, different I, things <laughs> i i'm just saying that i wouldn't have a problem with things like these if it was something that happened i don't know months down the road when other things have been taken care of that doesn't change my day to day well but when this stuff is being passed and nothing's being done to to, re- to give relief to people that absolutely need it then yes i do have a problem with yeah. the timing of it yeah yeah i agree um and, and not to mention the impeachment stuff right i mean oh don't even get uh, me started uh, on that. right dude. that's just an, an effort in futility they already know they're not going to get the votes, and yet they still push on. So, so they're going to delay. They, they won't be able to do anything in the Senate as this is going on. So they're going to now delay this budget reconciliation further for weeks for this theater of impeachment. That's going to do absolutely assholes. nothing. And you got the Schumers and the Pelosi's leading the charge for that theater. So I think it is incompetence, man. I really do. I think they're that dumb. They're that bad at their job. That's shocking. It, the only other explanation is they just like— literally don't want to do anything and just want to have a charade of fighting for everything, which is also possible. But like, well, so you, what? You, said, you said it yourself, that's the, the, the Democrats. It's, it's a charade of caring about us where the Republicans, they're just, they just tell you right to their face. We don't really care about you. <laughs> yeah. It's so so, they're, it's they're, so they're, true. they're just playing to, we're, we're, we're seeing it right now. The Democrats yeah. can pass a $15 minimum wage and stimulus checks and all this other stuff. And they're choosing not to. Mm-hmm. What well, I'm curious, I you know, because I that would be a good topic, and I, I never remember to put it on there. What do you think about the executive order, making it so that transgender athletes can participate in their, you know, the sport, male or female, in which they identify? This is the first I'm hearing of it. So, yeah. what is it for high school sports? I think for all sports, I would assume all sports. I think it's a. Um, it's the lose. The quite the loophole it's certainly a loophole it's it's a lose <laughs> lose situation for for biden if he had any balls he would just not touch the subjects that's what i would do is i'm not going there because if you rule against it no matter what you say you no matter what logic you use you're transphobe 
if you do it, like you're defying all right, logic. It was an executive and, order. It wasn't something that he had to take a vote on. No. Yeah, yeah. He just pushed it right through. And he clearly didn't know what he was signing like the other executive order. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How awesome was that I, I, clip? I don't even know what the hell I'm signing right <laughs> I, I just think it's like that notion, like to think that anyone wouldn't have or wouldn't see the issue in that, like in having someone who is born male transition to, to female running track against. Yeah, we, we would have been like, state champions if we ran track as a female. Like, or, or like basketball, like would be another good example. Like it, like I, we all know for a fact that if that were to happen and that person is dominating, that girl is dominating the sport that parents would not say, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah. Right. Like my daughter does not have a fair shot right now. <laughs> I know your daughter deals with much more, you know, uh, real life issues clearly, but you know, this, how does this seem right to anybody? I mean, that's especially to the girls. I mean, to the girls who are playing sports who, you know, to your point, Jared, you know, there were stories in Connecticut actually about um, transgen- transgendered uh, girls uh, winning state championships in track. Yeah. And like that could have been a, you know, one girl who was born female. You right. Know what I mean, and like now they have to compete against someone who was born male. Yeah, the situation's messy. I mean, it's I, not I, a surprise I, that Biden did it. Like, it just fits the Democratic MO so much. I, I remember going to, like, watch, like, some of the, like, um, my cousin Riley's games when, when she was playing basketball with Casey. And, yeah, I mean, how, how tall is Casey? Like, I don't know, five, six. Like, like, five, six. Just imagine somebody my size who one day decided or at one point in time decided. You Your know size what? and I, jacked. I, 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 I deni- yeah, me plus like 10, 15 pounds. I decided I'm going to, I identify as a woman. Imagine me posting someone up like Casey on the block right. and it, it being totally like legitimate in the eyes of some people that I'm just dominating a sport where it's no question how much more physically gifted I am than someone who's a, a, a like your average size, like high school girl. Like it, it's pretty and, it's and, and dangerous it's not, when you think about it. Right. It's, it doesn't have to be something where, you know, just because we say that there's a there's a clear power dynamic there in, in uh, athletic ability that we're dismissing everything that that girl or uh, boy is going through. Like we can yeah. two no. the two things can exist at the same time. We can understand that that's in, it's an incredibly difficult situation. Uh, and they probably really don't feel like they can take part in one or the other, or, you know, if they're a transitioned girl, they feel like they can't play in boy sports. I, I get that feeling, but that doesn't mean that we pass an executive order and mandate that it's the case and it's allowed. Yeah. I mean, there, there are things I think that can be prioritized for trans transgender rights and things like that, but that does not seem like something that needed to like go into order that quickly, but a lot of his supporters, I'm sure, you know, that's all they needed to see. Yeah, but what about like feminists? Like job. feminists, like they must be in a really odd predicament, don't you think? I would think so. Yeah, I mean, I, and when I'm saying the crowd that would support it, clearly someone, you know, like a feminist would probably not be for something like that. Yeah, it's it's almost like yeah, there's a feminists are traditionally pro- progressive and 
you know, probably yeah, but you know, a majority would vote Democrat, I would assume. Yeah, but like allowing like that doesn't that kind of go against the feminist idea? That's what I'm saying though. They they would be very probably progressive on the LGBTQ stance, but For sure. then they then they have their their probably their feminist you know ideology. Um, that I think those two things would butt heads. That would be interesting. I think with that woke ideology, it's almost like an oppressed hierarchy. The more oppressed you are, the more you overrule somebody else's oppression. So like white males, minority males, white females, LG, black females, LGBTQ. So like it's almost like their shit overrules everybody else's with that because yeah, it's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, I totally forgot about that. I wanted to bring it up. So, uh, I'm going to get one more here with Joey and I'm going to let him off the hook, but, um, you know, I, and maybe we're being, maybe I am being overcritical and, and you can tell me, but so, uh, you know, the Biden campaign, right. Once he was, you know, uh, you know, once he got through the primary was, you know, their main thing, right. Was, Hey, Trump absolutely blows at COVID, right? He does not know what he's doing. We know what we're doing. We have a plan, right? Like that, that's a very fair thing to say that that was a campaign. In a nutshell, that's pretty much what it was. I'm not going to go back and find it now, but there was a tweet of of Joe Biden's from October that just said, point blank, Donald Trump does not know how to handle the coronavirus pandemic Mm -hmm. or does not have a plan to handle the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Space, enter, I do. Like, yeah, I remember seeing period. That. And th- this was uh, him. The uh, was it well, two weeks ago, a couple days after inauguration. The American Rescue Plan also addresses the growing housing crisis in America. Approximately 14 million Americans, 14 million have fallen behind on rent and many risk eviction. If we fail to act. There will be a wave of evictions and foreclosures in the coming months uh, as this pandemic rages on, because there's nothing we can do to change the trajectory of the pandemic in the next several months. Hold on here. Did you catch that, Mo? I caught it. That's I'm Hold smirking. on here. What do you think about that? Because there's nothing we can do to change the trajectory of the pandemic in the next several months. Well, his part of his campaign was saying that he was the only one that could change the 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 way the pandemic was going. Yeah, and, I I think the way he promoted himself as the savior, he's setting himself up for failure. Right. Because he's probably, and that's just part of a campaign. I mean, what the fuck? Sure. Say? Yeah. I mean, yeah. He, he's still. probably pretty close to right in saying that there's. Of course, what he he's should have right. Said, is there's only so much within our control to affect the impact of the pandemic until the vaccination rates increase. He should yeah. have said something like that. Yeah, I mean, you still could have thrown it in his face because, again, the, the campaign theatrics yeah. of I have a plan, right? He doesn't. I have a plan. Now it's like, well, dude, now you're just saying the same thing that we all were saying back then, which is yeah, what, what we're doing now is all we can fucking do. And if you look exactly what he's saying, yeah, yeah, but like, honestly, like, again, people who aren't paying attention to this stuff and aren't picking up on it based on what places like Rhode Island, California, New York, 
you look at some of these places that all of a sudden, you know, like we, like we said this a uh, couple episodes ago, you know, a couple weeks before inauguration day, we were in the darkest hour of the pandemic. And then the week after he's inaugurated, curfews are lifted. Dude, it's everywhere. Bands. All so the blue states. People just see that stuff. And I'm sure like maybe some of them have that soundbite or, or that tweet in, in, in their heads when they're thinking, oh, well, something seems to be working less than a month in. Whereas obviously people who are paying attention like yeah. us, no, we knew this was coming and it's pretty obvious that nothing really has changed, but the nothing will change. Nothing will change. It would be, now, it would be very interesting to see a comparison of like, has, has Biden done anything to help yet? I don't think he well, has. And look, it, it's early, right? I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to act like I'm, you know, three I think weeks. The I would get a lot of in. shit done in three weeks as president. <laughs> How many executive <laughs> orders would you have passed Mo? Um, Probably less executive orders. They'd be more meaningful. More that's the thing. And, and, and that's the thing too. Like people are talking okay, about these Scott. executive orders. They're so literally as the only, the only part of government that can check these executive orders is the Supreme court. And yeah. it hasn't, it doesn't happen that often. So to just sign something through that doesn't have to go through Congress, that's not a big accomplishment. It's an, it's almost an empty gesture. What? Um, executive action and most of them do very little yeah i mean i i don't i didn't look at each and every one of them but no you know i, I guess like sometimes they can be good sure i don't, you know, I don't know uh, no they definitely can i'm not saying that they're never good i'm just saying it's like a covid bill going through congress getting going through the entire bill process to become law and become part of the budget whatever that's more meaningful than just someone signing a piece of paper that he doesn't even know what the hell he's signing yeah and then passing that through, and then that's it. Yeah, a lot of it was, I think, just, again, like imagery and kind of red meat for everyone, because a lot of it was, hey, I'm going to undo all these Undoing, things. Undoing, exactly, Trump yeah. Administration. Right. Um, well, one and, thing I did see that Biden did, which I, I has done, I find impressive. I don't know if it's all him or not. I guess um, 100 million of the vaccines from Pfizer that we weren't supposed to receive till July will now have by uh, May. So, I mean, that'll certainly help with getting yeah. us vaccinated quicker. Yeah. yeah. And uh, pharmacies are going to be getting vaccines too. Give them the to everybody, man. Right. I'll let a, I'll let my 7-Eleven clerk fucking stick me with the vaccine. Right. I don't I care. Mean, we we got to be fair. I mean, yeah, we're, we're bashing them, but like that is like, there are some things sure. that are happening. Yeah. There Did, are I don't some think things I, that are happening. I don't think I told you guys when I was, uh, I had my physical like two weeks ago. And I was talking to doctors. She's like, oh, do you have any questions on the COVID vaccine? I was like, no, like, I'll, I'll get it when it's ready. Like, I'm being patient, et cetera. I was like, like when do you think it will be for, like, our, um, like, my age healthy people? She's like, honestly, it's so tough to tell because right now in Massachusetts, there's no website for it. So you can't register. You can't get information on it. And the only place, and this is two weeks ago, the only way you could get it was at hospitals, not even doctor's offices or anywhere else. So she said it's an absolute mess that they're still trying to sort. So like, think about that, dude. How did we have the vaccine out since what early December? My doctor's appointment was two weeks ago was late January, and we didn't even have a fucking website for every state uh, to find and, out information on this. Uh, and how long did we know that we were going to be working on a vaccine <laughs> for this virus? <laughs> a long time. Literally since March. Yeah. yeah, only like a year, this almost a government year. Government incompetence. I mean, like beyond incompetent, dude. Like that is 
I don't even have a word for it. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's yeah. unbelievable that you don't have a fucking website for anyone to register for a vaccine or at least get fucking information. I mean, the registration system to me is huge because what they do in Texas is they, um, you know, you sign up, right? And they'll, they give you the vaccination, right? Based in the same way, based on age uh, and all that stuff. And you're given a number, 70,000 or whatever. And you constantly get updates. Hey, we're at this number. We're at 35,000. We're at, you know, 50,000. Um, and what they do is if they have like people who don't show up for appointments or if they have extra vaccines, they just do a fucking lottery. So they'll just totally spin the wheel, logical. pull a name, come yep. get your vaccine. Totally it's logical. wasted. Like, how is that not being done? How is that not done in like, Fuck! I'll say June. I'll give them three months to work on. Right. It. right. I still think most states don't have a like a queue. Don't have a like a waiting list for it yet. Most of them are like it's. This is where it's available. Show up and people line up overnight for it. Like uh, it's, it's so bad. Like I, I and this just don't this would be how so can, easy in, in a private sector. Like to spin up a website, dude, to register for something. Two you days. You could do in. Two days in a, in a real you think of company. all the websites that are out there that just pop up. I mean, up. the website could be built in a day. Like that Dude, would you, take We could create that with Google Forms. Yeah. Well, I, I have been unbelievable. hearing, like in Newport, for example, my parents were telling me that the, uh, the fire department's taken the initiative of sending out a Google Form for people of like a certain age that are in phase one of the vaccination process. So it seems like not not the whole not statewide and obviously not nationwide but it seems like some towns and cities have taken it upon themselves to at least prepare for whenever that rollout is in that area to get like people logged in and get their information yeah. in i mean um, i mean that's great but how scary is it that it's our firefighters having to come up with that idea on their oh, own I know. and implement that's kind of my point it's like yeah. they're just like well we're not going to sit around on our and sit on our hands and just wait we're going to try to get ahead on this and Mo, what you should have done is been up front with your doctor and just told them that you were immune compromised and you would have just gotten the vaccine immediately. Say, say I got all the comorbidities, just brewing, <laughs> just brewing. Now, gee, I bet you I couldn't even have got one if I said I had everything. I think it's so hard to get them right now. Yeah, I, th I think it was supposed to be Feb 1 for 75 and older now um, yeah. for mass. I don't know if that actually happened or not. Did you yeah. guys see, I think it was Massachusetts. It was in Massachusetts or Connecticut, but I'm almost positive it was mass that they're vaccinating that they like struck a deal with some inmates where if they got the vaccine, cause some inmates, I guess have been pushing against getting the vaccine and they said that they would reduce jail time if they <laughs> received the vaccine. I, I'll have to look it up and send it to you guys later, but I was like, Holy shit. Like that's fucking ridiculous. I mean, like, you're an inmate. You should not get a fucking choice. I, I don't even think people who work in nursing homes should get a choice. Like the fact that it was like 37% of nursing home employees are refusing vaccines. It's like, yeah. you're an employee. You do what we say. If you don't do this, we will find somebody who will. That's what my rule would be if I ran a nursing home. Did yeah. you did you guys see um, like what's going on in Israel at all? Like, I guess they're way far ahead of the rest of the world with vaccine distribution. No. I don't know the numbers, but like, I guess it's like already starting to have a significant impact on their case count. And the reason they're so far ahead is they made a deal with Pfizer where they give Pfizer all of their patient data in addition for more and trade for more vaccines. Ooh. So they get a little handshake deal where they're getting a shit ton of vaccines. So Pfizer can trace all these people 
and like the side effects and stuff, which I'm okay with. But it's I just, give them uh, my data. Same here. It's just interesting. Yeah, like, but I I, I wouldn't places. want the government to give them my data without asking me. Yeah, that's Israel, dude. I'm right, sure exactly. Not many fucking <laughs> yeah, <laughs> liberties there. They already have our data. Who we can? Um, hey, speaking of foreign countries, did you see last week that Biden uh, imposed a travel ban from South Africa and UK, Ireland, and parts of Europe? Yeah, dude. A lot of uh, a lot of uproar in the social media community. Well, I'm looking at a tweet here. So this was March 18th. Uh, this was when a lot of uh, criticism was being, you know, uh, laid at, at Trump for the, closing the border from China. Um, and Trump tweets about it, you know, how he, oh, I took, I took this thing more seriously. Like, you know, I, I made a great decision. And uh, Joe Biden uh, quote tweets it and says, stop the xenophobic fear mongering. Be honest. Do your job. And you know Biden didn't tweet that. His aide tweeted that, but yeah. still, I get what you're saying. Like it's just, and it, it happens to everyone. You know, we see it with fucking celebrities. We see it with athletes. We see it with everyone who's prominent and wants to have these virtue signaling takes. It's like, dude, like, do you not realize that this is like time stamped for eternity? Like, do you not care? Because he he knew he was going to be running for president, right? I don't think they care. I don't, I don't just, think. Yeah, it's... you don't think. I mean, because nobody, nobody really brings it up. You know what I mean? We bring no. it up, but nobody no. brings it up. It's just like, can you guys just be fucking real people and stop being such fucking yeah. hypocrites? And... They're, they're, they're not real people. They're, they're like, do you think when these people get home at the end of a long day, do they flip a switch or have they just become these personalities? Like, I, I, I think they're in so deep that they forgot who they are, like Katy Perry style. You think AOC is like that? Maybe she's a little bit more like true to who she is, but she's only been in Congress for two years. Dude, so she's been in there for 40. Have you guys seen what she's been doing oh, the last yeah. few days on Twitter? Oh, yeah. I, I heard about it. I couldn't find the actual tweet, but it's what um, tying her being sexually assaulted at some point in her life to the fear she had while she was in the Capitol building. Yeah. Yeah. Well, someone like and, that. So I, it, it started, right, uh, when uh, this was all going on in the GameStop stuff. And uh, AOC tweets something about the GameStop stuff, like, this is bullshit, this shouldn't be happening. Ted Cruz uh, quote tweets it and says, fully agree. A little bipartisanship. Yeah. Just, just says fully agree, right? It doesn't say anything <laughs> else, but fully agree. And then this is what a- AOC's uh, quote tweets and says after that. I am happy to work with Republicans on the issue uh, on this issue where there's common ground, but you almost had me murdered three weeks ago, so you could sit this one out. Happy to work with almost any other GOP that aren't trying to get me killed. In the meantime, if you want to help, just resign. Is that an adult uh, that... thing to say? No. <laughs> I mean, to me, that's fucking embarrassing. I mean, she, are, you, are you surprised though? Is that how you want our nah, fucking Congress cringe, people man. acting on Twitter? She's pretty like, cringe. Ted Cruz, like, do you really, do you really think he tried to get you murdered? <laughs> well, so, what, what was her connecting the dots of him backing Trump and in the insurrection? Yes. To, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, which like, means he tried to get her murdered. He did. He did a lot of fucked up shit, but I don't know if you can take it that far. Ty, did you watch the Instagram video she posted? Yeah, listen to this. There was no partner 
was not yelling. So she t- she talks she's talking about her traumatic experience, right? When in the Capitol, the Capitol building was stormed. Now it's come out that, and this is why like people are shitting on her now. It's come out that she was like on the opposite side of the building, like she was nowhere near the shit that was going down. And so I guess like a police officer, one of the Capitol police officers. Uh, was like outside her door trying to get in mm-hmm. um, and like got in and, and she's telling the story and, and that's what happened. Telling, you know, Capitol Police, et cetera, et cetera. But then what, but then it didn't feel right um, because he was looking at me with a tremendous amount of anger and hostility. And, um, things weren't adding up. Like there was no partner there. And there was, no one was yelling. He wasn't yelling like, this is Capitol Police, this is Capitol Police. And he was looking at me in all of this anger and, and hostility. And at first, you know, in, in my brain and in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I just came from this super intense experience just now. Maybe I'm reading into this, right? Like maybe I'm projecting, um, Maybe I'm projecting like something onto him that that like maybe I'm just seeing anger, but maybe he's not trying to be angry. Um, but I talked to G, my legislative director, after the fact, and he said, no, I didn't know if he was there to help us or hurt us either. And um, and G was actually like th- this man came with so much hostility that um, that G was sizing him up and didn't know if he was gonna have to fight him. Like that is how, that is how like aggressive the situation was in that moment. And we couldn't even tell, we couldn't read if like this was a good situation or a bad situation. Um, It was so like, you know, like so many other communities in this country, like just that presence doesn't necessarily give you a clear signal if you're safe or not. And so the situation did not feel okay. And then he just looks at me and yells at me and he just goes, go down and then go to this other building. Um, I'm not gonna like name the specific building, but he basically says, go down and go to this building. But he just says the name of the building. Doesn't say anything else, but we're so rattled. So why is I was saying all this on an Instagram live. She's she's. Well, why do you think? She's just telling everyone how brutal her experience was. That she had a security police guard, officer police officer, and, and she to- totally is making this guy sound like a asshole and bad guy for no reason. Because he had like a sense of urgency and was like, maybe because he was fucking fighting lunatics for the last <laughs> four hours, and he's also in fight or flight mode. It made me think of like if you're in a burning building and a firefighter comes in to save you, they're not going to be like gentle about it. They're like, not going to give you a hug first. No, like get the get fuck out of the building, and then you're going to be like, well, you know what? I don't really like the tone of of your voice, I may so have I don't to really. Fight you. Yeah, like she. She is the embodiment and the poster child for, unfortunately, everything we don't like about Mm -hmm. left wing politics and the identity politics and the culture war stuff. Like she is 
at the forefront of that. And it's like it sucks, man. It sucks. And like I, again, it's like these people clearly don't like take a step back and think about anything before they do it because while she's like trying to like I don't know what the point of of her telling this is. Maybe it's just to continue to drive home this narrative about how you know all these people need to resign or, or whatever because of how bad it was. I don't know, but like you listen to that and then I think like okay, so there are people watching that. Not many. There are some people watching that that have been probably worked at a gas station, got held up at gunpoint, right? Didn't put out a Twitter video, didn't virtue signal about how scary it was, and walked into work the next day. And she hadn't, like, an encounter with a police officer that was trying to help her when... Her yeah, building was trying, trying to make it all about her. And that, and that wasn't yeah. like something you just find in like an Instagram story. That's like 30 seconds. That was one hour, Jared. She went on for a doesn't over surprise an me. hour on Instagram with with that whole explanation of what happened. It, it, it sucks because like you've heard me say there are things that I maybe have liked about AOC. She's got way too many moments like this. Way, way yeah. too many moments of making it personal about her and just like so much theater. It's like if you're really what you say you are, anti-establishment here for the working class, enough with the theater and actually get something done. Yeah. Instead she's dodging Medicare for all votes and Well, I was I was just about to say like that, that's, that's exactly where I was thinking, Ty. Like again, another example of where she had an opportunity to to do something significant and back up her platform and she chose not to and it just became about herself. Yep. Um, bad news, Mo. Um, here, yeah, <laughs> his head perked up. If you didn't see on Twitter, Bernie Sanders is a white supremacist. No, fuck, yeah, dude. So I I did see this headline, they got and him. I really struggled to understand their argument. Okay. Well, really struggled. Well, uh, we'll see if we can unpack edu- it here. Ed- so educate me. W- yeah, wake so me up. Make me woke. Th- this is uh, a little series here. Couple, a couple quick stories out of uh, the city of San Francisco, California, Super which I think <laughs> the mecca of of conservatism, the, the the Bible Belt, as we call it. Yeah, yep, um, the Bible Belt, exactly. The LGBTQ Bible Belt. I mean, I'm convinced after this, like that. I think San Francisco, dude, might be the most like culturally progressive, like crazy place in our country. I, I Maybe the Port- world. Port- Portland is pretty damn close. Yeah, you're probably right. They probably give yeah. them a run for their money, but yeah, uh, I don't know. They, they happen stories. to be right near each other. Those protests so, may still be going on. <laughs> so this this story. Uh, was um, from a high school teacher in San Francisco, former professor, I think like a former lawyer, a high school teacher in San Francisco talks about Bernie Sanders and talks, you know, details a conversation that he has with his class about the Bernie meme. So for those who aren't on Twitter, Bernie Sanders got a picture taken of himself in inauguration 
where he's sitting looking like a grump uh, with his big puffy jacket on and these massive wool mittens. L- love and it. Absolutely went, loved the picture. Went, to say it went viral is an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was just everywhere, made into memes and funny things. Uh, well, that is not good in the eyes of, of this teacher. So, you know, I, I'm, I couldn't, the fucking San Francisco Chronicle wanted to make me pay to read the fucking article. So I read, uh, I found an article that was written about the article. Um, and it talks about how, you know, the meme went viral. Right. And it says who could possibly find fault with that? Well, at least one person, at least a public high school teacher in San Francisco, uh, named Ingrid Sayerochi, uh, who wrote an op-ed. Oh, so, you know, um, I think it must be a woman, Ingrid. Yeah. She uh, wrote an op-ed um, and the uh, objection uh, was to, you know, the privilege, uh, white privilege, male, male privilege, and class pr- privilege symbolized by Sanders' choice of a relatively casual Burton snowboarding jacket and repurposed wool mittens. Uh, Sayer Ochi addressed the topic with her students who said that uh, who she said were also upset by what they saw, which is alarming to me, if that's true, that her students also had an issue with Bernie's coat and mittens. Um, <laughs> and this is a quote from the teacher. And she said, what did they see? They saw a white man in a puffy jacket and huge mittens, distant not only in his social distancing, but in his demeanor and attire, she wrote, adding, what did I see? What do, what do, <laughs> what did I think my students should see? A wealthy, incredibly well-educated and privileged white man showing up for perhaps the most important ritual of the decade in a puffy jacket and huge mittens. I don't know many poor or working class or female or struggling to be taken seriously folk who would show up to at the inauguration of our 46th president dressed like Bernie. She said uh, this, she told her students about the images from that day, is white supremacy. This is white privilege. It can be hard to pinpoint when we see it, but uh, it can be hard to pinpoint, but when we see it, we know it. I mean, in no way to overstate the parallels. Senator Sanders is no white supremacist insurrectionist, but he manifests privilege, white privilege, male privilege, and class privilege in ways that my students could see and feel. Which is the most, I think I've said this eight times on the show, the most utterly insane and completely horseshit untrue thing i've ever read in my entire life if that was my friend i would say you need psychological help i'm taking you to a mental hospital dude this person could be teaching your children yeah so let's let's throw it over to our resident teacher what are your thoughts on that being shared to students well this is sort of like you know this the, the term white supremacy, sort of like, you know, the word racist and, and, and misogynistic. It, it's it's thrown around like candy these days. Is, like when it's I think those of those stupid fucking books that those guys wrote. Exactly. And like white, I mean, Bernie wearing his mittens, that's a far cry from like 
the the Ku Klux Klan and Nazis <laughs> and lynchings, but Adam, which are synonymous with white supremacy. The parallels are closer than you may think. Yeah, between talking, apparently between <laughs> the mittens and Jim Crow laws. Oh, absolutely. Black codes and Bernie go right along with each other. Um, honestly, I don't really have a response because I, I just don't. I can't it's imagine. It's hard to even take that serious. It is. But that was it a is. very serious thing written in a very serious newspaper. Like, dude, if that. If and that she probably got a pat on the back from her, like, one school leadership. thousand percent. Like, I, I can't imagine. I don't even know. And I, I work with some pretty progressive people. And I think that just comes with the territory of being in the education field. But I don't know anyone who would actually not only say that, but truly mean it like deep down to their core. Like that, that should get you Bernie's fired. T- oh, yeah. You in are not perfect, fit in a, to in teach a perfect, children. In a perfect world, that, that, would, that would require some serious discipline because – I, I, like I that know is that dangerous it is because teachers can be extremely influential to certain people at certain points in their life. And if you have people spewing nonsense like that to impressionable high school kids, that's a problem. And that, that that's something that needs to be rooted out. It's but unbelievable. Yet it, it, it's being pushed more and more by our culture war fl- friends on the left. Yeah. With things like the 1619 project. Yeah, who teach our like our kids fucking dangerous things. So, so be Ty, be, because you brought up Bernie, uh, I'm gonna take a quick segment from or part of the the Stay Wokes because I have exactly what you were talking about, not Perfect. the exact tweet, but the same exact topic. So I'll, I'll read a few tweets. I, I don't need to go into explanation on it because how can I follow up on that article that you just read? <laughs> so one tweet is purposely looking like a slob at a historical inauguration for women is a form of misogyny. So this is not just white supremacy, but there, there you go. There's, there's oh, some shit, Bernie. stuff. Ice Bernie's cold fem- smoked. Oh, just completely roasted here. Near, there's another one. Ice cold femi- feminist take. I love Bernie. Really, I do. But sir, emotional labor is not beneath you. Not feeling it? Fucking pretend for one minute like most women do every minute. What is that even fucking? I don't mean? even know. I'll be honest. I because <laughs> he didn't look happy no. enough for for them. I guess not. And then the last one I have is the problem is I can't even laugh at the Bernie photos because can you imagine if Hillary or Liz Warren showed up dressed like that and acting like that, or even Obama? White men get endless latitude and forgiveness other Americans aren't afforded. So. What 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 started out as a playful meme and and made us all laugh at one point in the in those few days you know after the inauguration to is some people it was the white supremacist it, it might have <laughs> might as well have been a burning a burning swastika and the face of misogyny so again and as we always say you are you completely strip yourself of any credibility in future yeah. conversations when you say shit like that I, I mean Agreed. that's how soft our generation has gotten where we're two generations away from storming the beaches of Normandy. And these people are offended by a man in a jacket and mittens <laughs> in the cold. <laughs> like, how have we come to this? These people it, stand, it, if we ever face a real crisis, these people stand no 
chance. Well, these are the same people we're talking about here. So th this is uh, also in San Francisco. So uh, this is a quick blurb from an article. Um, first, the San Francisco School Board decided to rename 44 schools because they are named after people with ties to racism or slavery. Right? I mean, we saw that all over the country. That yeah. was just San Francisco. Yeah, there we go again. Now, the arts department has taken a bold move by changing its name. Uh, <laughs> it was VAPA, uh, and they're changing it because they say acronyms are a symptom of white supremacy culture. Oh, man. How? Maybe they were. <laughs> Good question. My, my first thought was like, are they thinking just like KKK? Like what other? Are there rhymes? No, just because it's like it stands for something. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to trying to get inside their head. It's really hard to think. Like, what the fuck are they talking? Imagine about? thinking like this every day. How fucking no insane you drive yourself. Like, imagine waking pretzel. up thinking like, holy fucking shit. I have to change the name of this department from VAPA to something else because we have been projecting white supremacy. I, I don't know how one forms that thought. No, and and the worst the worst part of well, one of the worst problems of this is is that we talk about the virtue signaling and identity politics and all this stuff. As soon as someone takes a stand, if you want to call it that on acronyms being forms of white supremacy, the amount of people that without even realizing why they're doing it will rally to that cause without even stopping to think what exactly am I rallying to? Because it is in, in one way in their mind, a, a standing against something like that. And it's just, it, it's, it's, it's insane how many sheep live in this world that will literally just follow. And obviously, mo I think most people are like us. would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? But there's definitely going to be a following for a small following for something like that. It's just wild, man. The, the things oh. people do to like try and prove their own self-worth. Hey, we're not done. Um, the San Francisco uh, Board of Education is, uh, this was yesterday, I uh, was meeting later yesterday to discuss eliminating uh, selective admissions process and replacing it with a lottery-based system. Um, and this is someone from, uh, this is the commissioner of that board, Allison Collins, on, uh, on why. When we talk about merit, meritocracy and especially meritocracy based on standardized testing. I'm just going to say it in this day and age, we cannot miss words. It, those are racist systems. Well, if you're going to say that merit, you know, is like fair, it's, it's the antithesis of fair and it's the antithesis of just. And so, you know, you can't use equity or you can't, you know, talk about social justice and then say that you want to have a selective school that keeps certain kids out from the neighborhoods that you think are dangerous. Like that's all kind of Trumpian language. And in San Francisco, I'm proud to be Trumpian. a Trumpian and I'm proud of our family. In the dictionary. And I'm, 
you know, I don't think we should be shy about naming those things. What do you think about that? I get her point. Like I get that there are issues that need to be addressed. Like inner city kids should have an opportunity for better schooling, but to call right. is, the, is the it concept a... of um, merit, a racist concept and Trumpian like lady, you must've been picked last in every gym class. Like what, how did your brain get wired this way? Right. Everyone yeah. gets a trophy mentality. It's wild. Yeah. So it's like, I would love, I wish you would have expanded and said, here's what I think is better. How the fuck are you going to do it if it's not based on merit? And the fact that people really think equity cannot happen with merit. To me, to go against merit is to create inequity. Like, it should be equity in you receive what you put in. If, if I'm working right and your point is let, let's make sure everyone has an equal chance at it yeah which is not I'm really right. what she's saying she's just saying oh let's just change how we look at it she, she's let's just saying how we grade it we're, we're both sales reps I sell 120 percent of my target you sell 60 percent of your target but you're black we should get paid the same commission and that's what she's saying right I guess not, I not guess, okay. right you would you can you can only uh, but because you grew up in an inner city you deserve the exact same outcome, not the same chance, no matter what else you put into it. Yeah. Like that's right? not okay. And we would hundred percent agree. Like there, I'm sure there is right. Lack of resources uh, that would contribute to preparing for standardized testing in those communities. So let's address the, the problem then. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's get them right. aid. Right. Like, you know, let's rather than redefining merit, let's, let's go to the source. And I think that yeah, like you kind of hit it on uh, the nail on the head, uh, Mo, because I, it's it's just all like band aids. Like let's just do yeah. something that, like she said, I can be proud of and I can feel good about myself, and I will put the band aid on the problem, and we can walk away and we can virtue signal to the bank. Yeah, but I mean, did, did it actually did, change anything? No. Did, did making worse. real making real change is very hard. Like you even yeah. see it in the corporate world and everything else. It's easy to do to checkbox something and say that you did it. That's a way most people live their life as opposed to finding out the root of something and changing behavior and systemic changes. That's really hard. But in this case, like these people have the power to change things that affects people's lives. Right. So yeah. because she has this warped way of thinking about it, you know, I don't know if that that was back in October. I probably should do some fucking research and see what happened because like if that something like that were put into place, like I would love to see how that fucking shakes out and how yeah. people feel about that. An interesting experiment. Um, all right. Well, that was all I had. So we can jump into uh, football. Are you ready for some football? Fucking Super Bowl. I can't Sunday. believe it's Super so Bowl fucking week. weird. Yeah, it is weird. So fucking weird. There's been so little coverage this week. It's made it like kind of. Yeah. Weird doesn't seem like it you're right it's so so little coverage it's fucking insane i did i do miss like the barstool stuff with like big cat and pft like dressing In up costumes like old, old dude, that, was, that was great when they yeah. did that. <laughs> i will miss that part of media day um so what do you guys think like i mean i personally as of right now because I'm are we going to make picks with... against the spread or just straight up well 
So I, I have a list of prop bets. I was going to ask just like what you guys thought about the game in general before. Well, we I know because we're going to make a pick, we're going to make a pick. So are we going to make our picks together based on if we think, you know, the Chiefs will cover or you know the we, we can do either or all money line or spread. Want. Yeah, straight up. Okay, straight, straight up. up. Yep. Um. So you guys got. I'm thinking Kansas City. However, I'm not. Of course, like, Adam I, couches I, I would, a statement. Well, I'm not going to say that they're going to blow the Bucks out. Would but you say that? Would you say that? I'm picking them to win. I think it's I, I, a very competitive I, game. I mean, I won't. Go ahead, and I'll give my opinion after. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Like, I I think that the overlooked problem right now with Kansas City is they have like one healthy offensive lineman that's like actually started the majority of games this year. Like their offensive line is decimated, like namely Eric Fisher. I pretty sure he's not playing. Um, and obviously one of the Buccaneers strengths is their front four. So that definitely gives me some reservations at the same time. I've, I, I just think that, you know, this is a start of, of the next dynasty. And I think it will, ultimately start here with Pat Mahomes winning this game in spite of Tom Brady probably performing pretty well. Um, I, I think Kansas City pulls this out. I think it's very close. All right, Jerry. Oh. My next. Uh, so uh, I, I think Kansas City definitely wins. Um, I think there's a potential it is a blowout. Is it even as banged up as the Chiefs line is, dude, like it's so hard to get pressure on Mahomes. He is, just escapes the pocket so well. Like I remember so many Broncos he's, he's games. He is hurt though, right? He's got yeah. that turf toe. Yeah, but I just remember so many Broncos games where we had like Von Miller and um, at the time either Bradley Chubb or Demarcus Ware or whoever it would be, and like we would get constant pressure, and he would just escape it and make a play every single time. Um, so, so I, I think they're just going to be so hard to beat. So I do think Kansas City wins. I think potential to win big. I think Tom has a solid game, um, but makes a couple mistakes. And I don't think Mahomes doesn't make big mistakes. He doesn't turn the ball over a lot. They're just so hard to beat. I'm going want, Bucks, baby. I'm going. I want Bucks. Tampa to win. I want Shocker. Tampa to win. I'm fucking going Bucks. Let's go. I'm calling it. Are you going money line or are they are they plus three? They, I think they were plus three and a half when I saw last. Like I would definitely want a few points if I could get it, but sure. Um, I, I, I'll fucking ride Tom Brady to the grave. Like, I think you're right. Like I, I it's going to take an unbelievable defensive effort on the, yeah. on the part of Tampa Bay, you know, to, to give Tom a shot. But man, I just think like if, if, if he's got a shot, like there's just fucking something about that guy, he'll make it fucking happen. And, and dude, now that you say that, how many Super Bowls has there been a high flying offense coming in, and a team with a good defense and good defensive scheme was the underdog, and they fucking beat them. So yeah. many Super Bowls, Pats, Rams, right. um, fucking who who was somewhat recently a, a Broncos, Panthers, yeah, um, Seahawks, Broncos. We had the best offense in football history that year. Got mm. stomped. So Pats, Giants, famously. Pats, Giants. There's been a lot of them. I think though that the that the, the thing the with all of those examples good, right? is that the Buccaneers defense is not nearly on the same level as like the 2015 Broncos or no, yeah. not on that level. and everything like that. 
But but even but they're like playmakers the, somehow. And, like they and, and the yeah, that's what it is. Like the O one Pats and, and the Giants that beat you guys. Like those weren't all time great defenses. They just like were very opportunistic, forced turnovers and like show up in the clutch. Yeah, the the Bucks play violent on defense. They're a fun, fun defensive to team to watch. Yeah. Like they yeah. don't have great players in their secondary, but they just like they play violent. They play aggressive. Yeah, they're just like animals out there. They're just fast. I, and I would reckless. like to see Tampa win. I just think it's gonna be a really tough matchup. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my my head obviously says Chiefs, but my fucking heart, baby, is my heart and my is, balls. Yeah, it's, it's beating Tom Brady blood, man. How much of an impact being in Tampa do you think has on the outcome? Zero. I'd say Less than 5%. I'll give it a really? percent or two. You don't think it's even like a little bit of a factor that I, with a home playoff Yeah, game? I think like 1% one to, one to 2%. Do you think it even has <laughs> a chance, though, to be a setback in the sense of like normally when you're preparing for a Super Bowl, like you're in a hotel, you're you know very limited and what you can do is, is kind of nothing to do but focus, focus, focus. And like these guys are just chilling at home. In their comfort zones, like do you think that could possibly have a negative impact? Then that's home? just bullshit. I think that's total bullshit. Honestly, I don't see how playing at home could be a negative. I guess the only well, like I just argument... said, like you're in a you're in a very different environment for the week or two weeks or whatever before uh, the game. Let's say the week before because they go out there, you know, uh, well in advance. Is this a new stadium for Tampa, or is this still Raymond James Stadium? No, it's it's Raymond James. I'm surprised they're playing in such a shithole. That's not a very nice stadium, is it? I've been there. I, I don't remember. It wasn't anything spectacular. Yeah, that kind of surprises me. But um, yeah, there, I mean, there I, won't be I, a full I, crowd. Either. That's true, no. and, and I think in a normal year, I'd give it more. W- would it have more? Absolutely, I, I'll, yeah. I'll concede to that for sure. But there has to be some benefit to being at home in the biggest game of the year. Um, but again, I mean, a team like the Chiefs, a quarterback like Pat Mahomes, he's played well against no where. Exactly. So I go Chiefs. I think it's a good game. I think it's a lower scoring game than people think because generally the Super Bowl tends to be lower scoring as it is. Um, but I'm super excited. And I'm even more I'm excited because we got excited. some prop bets here. So I, I, I sent you guys the uh, list. I, I, I threw a few like not boring prop bets, but just like, you know, game related ones. And then some extremely random non-game related prop bets. So I thought we can talk about those quickly. Um, so the first one here is uh, Mahomes related. It's a, it's passing yards. So the over under for passing yards is 327 and a half. And the odds are exactly the same for each minus one. Vegas makes these bets so damn hard. And just um, to note, 10 out of 17 games that Mahomes has played this year, he's thrown for over 300 yards. So he's obviously no stranger to that. So I say I'm under. going, I'm going over. See, I'm going under too, because just because of the Super Bowl. And that's usually like, usually these I defenses mean, are much more well-prepared. I think Tyreek Hill, the last uh, time these two played uh, this year, had like 260 yards in one quarter. <laughs> and like three touchdowns or something. Yeah. Like he completely torched them. He's so, uncoverable. Maybe I should be going over there, but I probably bet under. Yeah. yeah, I'm boring. I'm gonna bet the under there. All right, here's one for Brady: rushing yards. Now, this one I think is like an absolute steal. You guys, maybe you guys can talk me off the ledge here. the The uh, rushing yard total is set at point five. 
Yeah, dude. I, I, I think easy over. I would hammer I, that's what the I said. over. That's I what I said. I, I might I might put a thousand dollars. That's on what the I over. said, dude. The I odds might put are every dime I have on that. <laughs> right? Like, dude, the the odd like I can already envision a fourth and in inches or a fourth yeah. and one somewhere where Brady does the same usual thing and the defense always has no fucking idea it's gonna happen. He's gonna see the A gap open, he's just gonna plunge in there, get one yard, boom, we're fucking millionaires. Like, I, I I would say the line should be more like two or three yards that that's exactly that's what tough. i was saying yeah hopefully they don't change it we gotta make our bet <laughs> soon so here we go so the so five out of 19 games for brady this year he had at least one rushing yard that's so that's it. not Only many five. not many and in 14 out of 19 games he had at least one rushing attempt i i could so. totally see him having like a, a naked boot or like a play where he just runs for it and just pulls a john elway helicopter but move. not even he probably won't even. He just needs to fucking get a first down. Do they count yeah. sacks as negative rush yards though? No, negative pass yards. No. Sacks are. If you're okay. if you're back to pass, then they won't count against you. All right, last one. Last score of the game: touchdown or a field goal slash safety. The last score of the game. Field goal. I go field goal safety just because the payout's better. Definitely. Plus, you know, it's plus one thirty-five touchdown. Yeah, I feel like games usually end in. I shouldn't say usually end. I feel like more times than not, you get a field goal anyway. But all right, now for the fun ones, because those are boring. These are the good ones. All right, these are the ones that everybody looks for. First one, how long will it take Jasmine Sullivan and Eric, or Eric Church to sing the U.S. National Anthem? The time they're doing two set national at, anthems? I think they're just singing it together is my okay. guess. The over-under is set at one minute and 59 <laughs> Imagine seconds. Imagine that at the Super Bowl. All right. We're going to have the white guy go first. You sing. <laughs> All right, you're done. All right, now Jasmine, go ahead. Ooh. <laughs> Do you guys know how long the average time is to sing the national anthem? I actually looked this up. You know we don't know. <laughs> Just take a guess. How I, long I do you would think guess it takes to sing the national anthem? Based right about a minute and 59 seconds. Yeah, I'd say. Maybe a little less than that. It's 147. 55 seconds is the okay. average. I don't know who the fuck came up with that. I'm hitting but. the under on that one. They're going to sing it quick. I think the over. I'm going the over. With two people, man, there's going to be some kind of duet. They're going to be doing some crazy shit. I can see that going a little. They're going to hold some notes longer. I would take the over there. All right, I'm with you. I'm taking the over. I'm All switching. right, nice. All right, what will be mentioned first? And this excludes commercials. Tom Brady's 10th Super Bowl or Tom Brady's age? The odds yeah. are much greater for well, I, I think payouts better for the age. I think age, because I think what the first sentence is going to be is, can you believe it, Al? <laughs> at 43 years old, Tom Brady's playing in his 10th Super Bowl. <laughs> is is that a push? Sentence. Is that a push? Oh, he, he said, he said 43 years old no, first. It's whatever's first. You can't say them both at the same time. So I would say, I think the age probably would come in first. Like, how is that not going to be the, the first sentence? Can you believe at 43 years old, Tom Brady isn't playing in his 10th Super Bowl? Or it could be in his 10th Super Bowl, 43-year-old Tom Brady. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows, man? It's it's tough. All right, so that that that's what a fun prop one. bet too. You're just fucking listening, right. and you're like, dude, like most of on. these, like yeah! all of these have nothing to do with the game. Prop bets are the better. best. Yeah. How many times will? Yeah, I mean, I I have to look on the round sportsbook and see if these bets even show up. I don't. I think maybe only they should because I did books. mine through Twin River, and I think Twin River runs the Sport Rhode Island sportsbook. Right, but these non-game related ones, you think they would? Dude, have there was like there? 17 pages of prop bets. Oh wow! So okay. I'm sure there's a lot. All right. 
All right, next one. How many times will Giselle be shown the over-under set at one and a half? I'm taking the over. Definitely the over. Easily yeah. the over. Yeah. yeah. I feel like Dude, some of these like, are easy. And there's not going to be a lot of fans there, so they can keep showing the same people. They're going to show somebody. They're going to talk about the kids, especially if, like, especially if the Bucks are winning in the end. They're up, like, two scores, and the time's running out. You're going to look at Giselle, like, freaking out on the well, sideline. Let's be honest here. You know for a fact that uh, – depending on where the money goes in that bet that someone from the casino is calling NBC and saying, absolutely, man, do <laughs> fucking not show Giselle Bunchen more than one time or we will have you fucking killed. There's no doubt in my mind. So that's, that's what think- makes me not want to bet these things. Well, yeah, I mean, I would bet this with like enough money where I wouldn't like feel terrible. Like I did at, when Jared and I put money on our on our parlay and we let it ride and just lost it all. Yeah. Luckily it was just winnings, but still didn't feel any better. Um, this is a classic one. Color of the Gatorade poured on the game winning coach. Now there are several colors here. So it's a tough choice. So you have lime green, yellow. They're all all in the same one. Orange, red, clear, I guess water. All right. Blue and purple. Those are the only ones you can bet on, apparently. That's an asinine bet. Exactly. It's so hard. Which is exactly why, dude. Like, I mean, of look course, I bet purple just because I, I want that payout. Like, I would. Of course, eleven hundred, dude. Why? Like, why would you not? Like that, a ten dollar bet. Blue, gonna net blue you. though. Blue might not be a bad one at plus eight hundred. That's probably more likely. Yeah, that, that that's certainly. I'm like, trying to a... like look in the memory bank. What a most. Gatorade showers look like. <laughs> I think Barstool tweeted like the last ten Super Bowls in their and or the last nine Super Bowls in their Gatorade color. So there is information out there, but I remember looking at it and saying there's no trend here. There's no pattern at all. Um and the last one, who will Super Bowl who will the Super Bowl MVP, whoever it is, most likely Pat Mahomes or Tom Brady, mention first in the post game interview. And the options are teammates. Coach, God slash Jesus, the owner, the city, family member or members, or none of the above, which is fourteen hundred odds. I well, when they out. say mention first, oh who? So it's who? So like some, they Brady, say somebody. I'd like to thank my teammates, which he's one thousand percent going to say. So that's obviously the easy one. But then, depending on who wins, if someone else is, is Mahomes religious. I I don't think so. Not not enough to know. for me to. Yeah, I don't think I don't think God's getting a the shout fucking out. owner. Can you imagine it, the owner getting the shout out first? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could be like a Super Bowl win. Who was the Who was the linebacker that for the Seahawks Broncos Super Bowl that won the MVP? He's still uh, on the team. You know what I'm talking Bobby about? Bobby Wagner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bobby Wagner. No, no, it was someone else. But anyway, it was a, it was a Seahawks linebacker. But um, like it's gonna take a random ass person winning the MVP for it to be like anything other than like teammates. Cause that's I, what... I could see it being family member. Okay. Tom, Tom if, had yeah, both but... of his first thing you mentioned, the it, first Tom thing had is both a family of his parents member had COVID this year. Ooh, so I, I could see him in an emotional saying this one's for my parents or something like that. <laughs> well, what I would mean, it sound like this is for my parents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I think I would, I don't know, I probably just wouldn't even bet that one, to be honest. Bet them all. Yeah. A hundred bucks a pop. 
<laughs> one of them's bound to hit. All right. So those are our prop bets. So we can do some research and maybe we can, uh, maybe somewhere in the middle can get back in the betting game. Cause, uh, yeah, I definitely want to make some prop bets. We're due for a win. And at what better time to I win? We're at like fucking Super Bowl five right now or something crazy like that. Yeah. We're not doing well. <laughs> Well, the, the key is just to not parlay everything. Yeah, yeah that's why. I Let's just do individual picks because I, I think we win parlay. Exactly. We've all gotten picks correct. It's not just the parlays are the three. The payout, though. Speaking of bets for this weekend, who do you guys have on uh, money on for Friday? Jose Canseco versus Billy Football. I'm definitely taking Billy Football. I would take it, Billy Football just for the thrill of it. I don't think he's going to win, though. I think it's going to be must watch. I hope that it's on AC Lee. We can pirate it. If it is, you got to send us it. Yeah. Please. It'll be super entertaining. It was, dude, I, I think it goes massive. Dude, he's like 270 pounds. At least. All it's going to take is like one big. I mean, Billy football is dumb as rocks. I mean, I, I could see him just getting right back up. I but hope Billy's making a lot of money off this. I know Jose is. I can I think see he's, I think it's like $10,000. That's it. I would want way more than 10 grand. It's a $10,000 price. Pulverized by fucking Jose Canseco. Yeah. All right. Any other Super Bowl thoughts? I got the, I got a cup, just a couple of things for stay woke. Keep everyone woke out there. And then, and then I I'm, I'm good for my, it's time so, for Scott Newman. And it's time for Scott Newman. Scott exactly. boy. All right. So first up on Stay Woke, the hot seat includes man slipping. Man slipping. You guys ever heard of man slipping? Can't say I have. Relatively new term. Uh, so speaking of Bernie, we were talking about the inauguration and obviously former presidents come in and we saw like Bush and Obama and Bill Clinton, Slick Willie showing up with and he had pictures taken several pictures of his mask beneath his nose which you know i think at any point people just end up saying fuck it and just don't really care if their mask goes below their nose so the new york times believe it or not wrote an op-ed which focused on how some men wear their masks and i have a quote from that article i realized and they're referring to the man slipping here I realize that it's not a Democratic thing or Republican thing or an inaugural thing. It's a male thing. It's like man spreading, but with masks. Call it man slipping. Do you guys know what man, man spreading is? I'd actually look that up. <laughs> no, I've heard of mansplaining. Yeah, that's, what, that's yeah, what I've heard of. I've heard of mansplaining as well. I guess man spreading is just like when you sit down, I guess we take up extra room because we got junk. And we have to like yeah, spread our legs out more our junk, which, yeah, which I, again, junk. I had no idea about that. Um, all right. The next on the woke hot seat is sushi. Ooh, we all fuck, love dude. Right. I know everything's, me? everything's on the chopping block here. Um, so this person um, took a couple pictures of sushi, one picture of like a nice plate of sushi. And the next plate was the next picture was the plate upside down in the trash can. So unpopular opinion, sushi has been whitewashed into a degree where it has become colonizer food. I won't cancel you for eating sushi, of course, but keep in mind that you are culturally appropriating Asian culture if you eat it. So somebody asked, are you Asian? And she said, I'm Latinx. So it's pretty much the same thing. 
Do you guys know what Latinx is? I think it just means Latino, right? Yeah. That's what I thought. Latino, Latina, yeah. It's the gender-neutral form of Latino. So, so you're a gender-neutral Latino, so you're pretty much Asian. So you're literally Asian. Like, you, you have an opinion on sushi and cultural... So, so, so she was person, saying that to kind of defend the, the fact that she has a say in this? Pretty much saying, like, hey, I'm Latin, so I... I, I I feel like I'm, I'm just entitled to, to yeah, I'm entitled to this opinion on discuss sushi. cultural these, these appropriation. Kids must have never been Japanese loved growing food. up. Yeah. Never. So and that person bought sushi to throw it away to take that picture. Literally, the, the picture is a nice plate of sushi. Looks pretty good. Just missing some wasabi and some or soy sauce fake to eat that shit up. Ate it and just showed the bottom half of the plate. Very after. true. Very that true. That would surprise me. Could wasabi absolutely ruined sushi. No, Ooh, I totally it, disagree. It, it makes it. I think Ugh. that Ugh. that next level sushi. It's oh, a absolutely. You don't put any awful tasting. Do you not? Well, you got to mix it in with the soy sauce, but you don't like it at all. I guess maybe I don't mix it. In. I, I only get it when like it's a little piece of it sticks to the sushi. You know yeah, I mean? it's, it's like really it, strong by itself. It's you strong yeah. by mix itself. Mix it with soy sauce, yeah. then dunk it, and it's like spicy soy sauce. Yeah. Ooh, I, I want I sushi then, now. Right. <laughs> All right, I got a last, the last one, and on the hot seat, I didn't really know what to put in the hot seat or who to put in the hot seat in this case, <laughs> so I just put racism in general with a question mark because I don't really know where this is going. Well, I kind of do, but I wasn't sure what to say here, but this person, Lauren Williams, at Resistance Rad, was replying to somebody saying, and I'm assuming, I'm assuming the topic of racism started this whole thing, states, I'm a Democrat, and a white woman of color, it's impossible for me to be racist. <laughs> so have you guys ever heard of a white woman of color before? Wait, wait, wait. I didn't even pick up on that. Repeat what she said. I'm a Democrat and a white woman of color. It's impossible for me to be racist. That would have been an outlandish statement if she didn't even say woman of color. What is she talking about? She is totally absolved of any possibility of being racist because she's a white woman of color. Well, I get that. And a Democrat. Well, what's, what's her explanation of a white woman of color? Um, she never really gives an explanation, but everybody asked, as you might imagine, what is a white woman of color? I'm Googling it. And everyone checked it. Yeah. Everyone was asking that she didn't really seem to get her point across because everyone was focused on the white woman of color part, which is really why I wanted to bring it up. Yeah. The Google doesn't even have a thing for this. She made it up. Clearly. I said, what is a white woman of color? Not a thing. <laughs> it's, it, hey, that's what it is. It's not a thing. I'm going to leave everybody with this because uh, I just realized that I had this. Uh, this is your new Philadelphia Eagles head coach. His introductory press conference. I haven't Next seen thing that's very important to me is that we build a smart football team that we have a smart football team here. And I know we have the, the people in place to do that. The first part of that, the first part of being smart is knowing what to do. We're gonna, we're gonna, know, we're gonna have systems in place that are easier to learn, all right? Complicated to the defense or offense that they're going against or the special teams group they're going against, but easy for us to learn. Because when we can put that, because we, when we can learn our system and we can get good at our system, then our talent can take over. Less thinking equals talent take over. But we need to have systems in place, and we will have systems in place to do so. Next thing is, <laughs> who is he, by the way? I didn't even recognize his name. 
Dude, this that, is exactly who you reminded me of. Have you ever had a dream that that you um you had you 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 could you do you you want you you could do so you you do you could you you want you want him to do you so much you could do anything. <laughs> I love that. Oh man. I don't know the guy's background. He was like a quarterback coach or something somewhere. Another Maybe a quarterback random... coach in Indy. Yeah, he's a Frank Reich guy. They want to recreate uh, Frank Reich's offense. The, the, what the a dysfunctional, dysfunctional franchise. Ooh, that was great. All right. Well, uh, great episode. Uh, you guys got a marathon here. Um, and uh, from here, we will go to Scott Newman. So, Adam, sign us off, baby. I love you guys. Cool. So, uh we have Scott Newman on. Uh, Scott is the author of the memoir, The Night Before the Morning After. Uh, Scott, appreciate you joining, man. Um, you're coming to us from Australia, right? I am, yeah. It's, uh, it's Wednesday morning at 11 a.m. here right now, so 16 hours ahead. <laughs> Shit. All right. Um, so your book was just published in December, right? Mm-hmm. So how's everything going yeah. so far? Is, is the book being received like how you want it to? Are you happy with the reception? How's that going so far? Uh, yeah, for the most part, it was a, it was a bestseller and a number one new release for a while. Um, and uh, the reception has been generally pretty positive um, from, you know, people from all over the world. I, I had to take it down off of uh, Amazon for a few days, actually, just because there were people in too many different like countries trying to buy it um, and get it available through the distributor in like um, different countries. Cause people were like, they were trying to, the, the way the distributor was only printing in the U S initially. And then um, uh, like it was being shipped from the U S to Europe and to Australia and whatever, and it was taking ages. So um, I, I've, I've, I've sold a lot of copies of the book um, and generally uh, pretty happy with with the reception. Obviously, there was a few, uh, or as with anything, there were a few um, speed bumps along the way. But uh, it was kind of fun um, handling it. If it was all, uh, you know, smooth sailing, it um, it wouldn't wouldn't be as enjoyable, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's good. Good news. Um, so I'm just curious. You, you mentioned it was getting shipped all over. Like, where are you seeing the the majority of those sales? Is it from America? I mean, I know you're you're American, but you're living in Australia now. Are you? you see like you've got a kind of a following uh, more so in Australia or what? Uh, no, I mean, the majority of sales are, are in the United States just cause that's where, I mean, frankly, I, I know the most people and that's where yeah. uh, like it, it's sort of a book about uh, you know, it's, it's very much like rooted in, in, in American culture and from, from an American perspective. But yeah. um, I mean, I, these copies were being shipped, and so the the bulk were going to to, Aust to the United States first and foremost, and the second uh, was Australia because I've lived here for a year. But I had people in in France, and Holland, and Britain, Canada, all over the place buying it, which was um, was sort of heartwarming and, and nice for me to see, you know. Nice. Um, so for our listeners, right? So for the people that haven't read the book, Scott, why don't you like give us a quick snapshot of what it was about and you know, for me, I'm, I'm interested to hear like from you, what you're looking for the average listener to get out of it. 
Yeah, sure. Um, so the book is the book is a memoir. Um, it's called The Night Before the Morning After, um, about the last uh, seven or eight years or so of my life. Um, and so, you know, obviously the the natural question is why would why would anyone want to read or listen to a 21, 22 year old um, write a memoir? What is there to even write about? Um, I've sort of lived a um, an unusual life um and it's not to say i think uh, i you know i think my life is so interesting but i was i was originally writing this book as as fiction um and then one of my editors sort of said to me uh where, where are you getting all these crazy stories from you know getting I, i've been deported from england i was kidnapped in the jordanian desert by a group of angry bedouins i watched my boss get shot um and when i was working for a congressman in dc and someone shot him um i i've been to something like 40 countries um, and so I've sort of amassed these uh, these just bizarre experiences, um, and so I, you know, some of them I thought were were story worthy, and um, I'm also a writer. I've always wanted to be a writer, and so I figured it's you know it's not just having uh, having a story to tell. Everyone has a story to tell. It's having like a, an interesting way to say it, and that's sort of where the writing comes in. So the way the book is set up is 22 chapters. Each one is sort of like. Um, uh, sort of crazy story or personal uh, anecdote from uh, from my life um, that that's been formative, and so I write the story and then sort of uh, talk about um, what I learned from it. And it's very, you know, uh, sarcastic, witty, cynical, uh, fast-paced, um, and it's a it's a quick and easy read. You can blow through it probably in like two or three hours. Each chapter is, you know, five ten pages, something like that, um, and they're almost like um, almost like short stories essentially um and uh that that, that move chronologically so um if you want to read about uh sort of all kinds of crazy adventures and also there's there's like um prescriptive life advice i guess in their life advice who am i to give life advice but like um hmm. thing, things that i've i've learned along the way that have that have worked for me um on how to sort of lead a fruitful interesting life um even at even at a young age, um, give it a read. Um, you can, I, you know, you can get the the ebook on on uh, or the, the 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 Kindle version, um, which you can read on your computer. And that's actually where most most people. I mean, there's obviously print copies available as well. But just because you, know, you read it on your iPhone, your iPad, your computer, whatever. Um, and uh, I don't know. Let me know what you think. Yeah. Um, I can't tell you necessarily uh i can't like force you to read it but i think i think you'll like it if you do yeah no i mean we gave it a read i mean i agree with you i think the way it was written makes it, it makes it definitely easy to read and i mean look we're you know 28 you know 29 year old guys right i mean we we, we have the american college experience so we, we kind of we get it i don't know if we've had quite the the crazy life that you had but um yeah, not not yeah. not quite <laughs> i don't, I don't know if our read. life's memoir worthy but um so <laughs> when i was looking up um your your bio, Scott, says that you want to be looked at in the literary world as James Hunt is viewed in the racing community. So I, I read that and I was like, I don't know who the hell James Hunt is. Yeah. So explain that. Uh, James Hunt was a Formula One racer, and the Formula One is like uh, auto car racing. Um, it's the highest class of single seat auto racing. So there's you guys know Formula One. I mean, I don't it's follow like, it, but yeah, I know, know of it, there. but certainly I don't know, know anything really about it. Yeah, I mean, these things like look like rockets. Um, they're 
enormous cars that, that you know, they, they go from like zero to, to 300 Ks an hour. And, and I don't know, like three or four seconds. Um, and he was a, he was an auto racer in the, in the seventies. He won, um, the 1976 world championship and his sort of reputation was just, um, uh, leave it all. I mean, the, the guy, the guy was crazy. Um, he was sort of like this, uh, like playboy rock star, wild dude. He would go out, uh, drinking, partying the entire night before his race, sleep for like two or three hours, throw up, like he ritualistically would throw up before every race. And then he would, um, he would go out and he would win. And his thing was that every time he like got in the car, like he was willing to die. Um, he got in a lot of crashes. Um, he did a lot of very dangerous things, um, <laughs> on and off the track. Um, and, uh, my, you know, he, he really just, uh, lived life to the fullest and all he ever wanted to do was, was race cars, um, and, and to be the best at it. And, and, you know, eventually, uh, he won. There's a great movie called, uh, Rush. Um, I think it was made back in 2013 It's a Ron Howard movie. Um, it's with, um, I think Chris Hemsworth, uh, is playing James Hunt. Yeah. yeah um, and, yeah. Yeah, so that I mean that that's uh, th that's James Hunt. Um, I think the movie the movie did him did him justice. Cool, that's awesome. Um, yeah, so actually, you kind of stole one of the answers to a question asking about the uh, you know why a twenty two year old would write a memoir. Just because I have a I have a younger brother. He's he'll be twenty soon, and um, Tyler has a younger brother who's around your age right now, and or a little older than that so it just made me think that it's just when i look when i look at memoirs that have been written usually they're people who you know are critically acclaimed celebrities or you know had some something happen like traumatic in their life that they were able to survive and have an experience and a story to tell so it was a little not alarming in a negative sense but it was puzzling to to us when we saw that you know yeah. somebody who's almost a decade younger than us feels that Hey, I, I, I have a story to tell and it, it's worth sharing. So I, I thought that was interesting initially reading through, uh, what, you know, what, what your book was all about. Um, but you'd certainly, yeah, absolutely. Oh, sorry. Continue. No, 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 no. I, you continue. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Uh, so going off of some stuff that happened in your book and you alluded to some of it already, how, you know, uh, myself and Tyler, you know, we've definitely, we've traveled not nearly to the extent that you have, and we have some crazy, like fun stories at times in our lives, but can't say I've been deported. Can't say <laughs> I've had been held hostage. And those two stories stood out to me. I know a little bit about each of them just from reading, but is there one in particular that you think is like for the listeners to um, that's more worth sharing be between being held hostage and being yeah like if you're going to tell one story to draw the draw the audience in if you want people to read it what's the well let's let's say the second craziest right because you don't want to spoil it you don't want to give away like that you don't want to bury the lead but what, what's the what's the, the the story that'll say like holy shit i gotta read this book um i mean the the jordan story i think is is the kidnapping story is is somewhat emblematic of just the sort of chaos of, of attracted around myself um and uh happy to happy to tell it so i was uh, how old was i i don't know 18 I think you maybe. Said like, yeah 18 yeah 
Yeah, I was I was 18. It was my summer after my junior year of high school, um, and I got this scholarship to. I was really interested in like the Arab-Israeli conflict and like Middle Eastern stuff at the time, and I got this uh, a scholarship to learn Arabic in Jordan, where the government is like paid for you to or paid for like a bunch of um, high school-aged American students to go off to these countries of like strategic interest. So they were sending kids to Turkey, China, Morocco. Um, they sent kids to Jordan they sent kids to, to India and Russia. Um, and, you know, I applied for it. I thought it was a great opportunity. I was run through the state department. Um, and by, you know, by some clerical error, I, uh, I, I got into this program, um, and, uh, you know, uh, they flew us all over to Jordan. Um, and we were, you know, staying in these like, uh, homestays. Um, I was staying with this, uh, like Palestinian family in, in East Amman, which is the, uh, less developed, less nice side of Amman, which is the capital of Jordan. Um, and how, you know, how did your was, parents uh, feel about that, Scott? Cause you were, you said you were 18 and you were going and living in Jordan with a Palestinian family was like were they yeah, like, I all, mean, all about it? Like they yeah. want you to have that experience, or really like what the hell are you doing? I feel like my parents would have kidnapped me to make sure I didn't go on that trip. So yeah. like yeah, what what was their <laughs> thought process in letting you go? Yeah, um, I mean I would I've been sort of traveling independently for for a while. Like I I lived in in Paris alone when I was sixteen. Um, and in my you know my my mom passed away when I was when I was uh, a kid when I was thirteen. Um, and my dad, um, my dad had always been one to encourage me to like, uh, take, take advantage of, of opportunities and, uh, really like, um, when something interesting presents itself to, to, to make the most of it what you can. And so it, it sounds a little crazy. Um, and it was a little crazy, but it was run through the state department. So it was, um, uh, generally pretty safe. Um, it was a little, I wasn't told I would be living with, with a Palestinian family, which was, um, a bit, uh, of an adjustment just because like personally I'm Jewish um, and you know, there's the whole Arab Israeli conflict. And like the first question I got um, when I went there was they're like, who they literally when I arrived to the host family with the other kid I was living with. They're like, who, who is your God? I'm like, Oh geez, how do I answer wow. this question? So wow. um, hot start I, right off the bat. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like we're sitting around smoking shisha um, and like the first night we're there, like, who is your God? So, you know, what kind of, how am I going to answer that? Um, so one of my other friends from Jordan actually advised me to buy a cross and to stick it in my room. Um, just cause they, they assume that, uh, that you're Christian or Catholic, yeah. like, um, without they, that's just what they assume. So he said, whatever you do, don't tell them you're Jewish. And I was like, okay. Um, so, uh, noted. <laughs> yeah, noted. So that, that 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 was an adjustment. Um, not because necessarily they would have uh, uh, done anything, but just because th there's a lot of problems there. Um, so and it's a whole like can of worms that that is in you know geopolitical issues we don't need to talk about now. Yeah. But um, anyway, get get over to Jordan. Um, you know. My dad was was all for it, um, it just because it, it was run through the state of It was like a prestigious scholarship, and so went over there. I was learning Arabic every day. It was like this intensive diplomat program where they like train the shit out of you in Arabic. Like if you don't like 
pass the test, they'll kick you out of the program. So I was sitting there like learning Arabic like a madman. Um, I mean, just like spoon, like bowl of cereal after bowl of cereal, just learning Arabic. I'm not sure that metaphor made any sense about the cereal. <laughs> I, I can kind of visualize it. Yeah, I, I understand what you mean. <laughs> like eating, you know, learning, whatever. Um, kind of like force feeding so, Arabic down your throat, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, that, I, that, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so um, went over there, and then one weekend we go out to Petra and Wadi Rum, which is like the, the Jordanian desert, essentially. Um, it's it's a border with Syria. Like it's it's in the – my geography's not that good. I think it has a border with Syria. Um, so we went to uh, Petra in the morning, and then uh, I think Petra is one of the seven wonders of the world or something. Again, don't quote me on that, but I, I don't know. It's really cool. <laughs> that in the, in the um, – uh, afternoon, we went out to Wadi Rum and like we drive these. We literally we're we're on like a fucking coach bus or something, and we driving down the highway, and then we see these like fucking four by four Toyota pickup trucks like driving towards us, and like this is some kind of scene out of a movie. Like, wait, whatever. Are you, like, this is fucked. Um, why are these pickup trucks like guys sitting on the benches in the back driving towards us? Like, this is not good. Um, but you know they stopped, and then that was that was fine. Like they were there to pick us up, literally on the side of the highway. And then they they and this is all part of the like program. Like we weren't. I would yeah. hardly call it a hotel. They were like glorified, like they were like glamping tents. You know, tents with like the metal poles and shit in them, in the middle of the desert, um, like a fire pit in the ground to to cook food. Um, that uh, that like we were staying at. So they, they pick us up on the side of the highway and they drive us out two hours into the desert on these, in these four by four Toyota pickup trucks that are not built for sand. And they've literally bolted um, like benches into the back of the cars. Anyway, we get out to our little campsite. We, you know, put our shit down. Um, and then it's like these like mini mountains all over the desert. I, they're, I don't know how else to describe them than like small mountains, um, like all over the fucking place. Well, everyone wants to go climb like, climb this mini mountain um and me and this other girl decide that uh, we want to climb one that's further away and looks higher and it looks great so we run out and we climb it to watch the sunset we want to watch it from the top of the mountain um so we run out to this thing probably like a kilometer away um uh, climb it like fucking spider monkeys get to the top and watch this gorgeous blood orange sunset one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen it's amazing the sun starts coming. I mean, we were watching the sunset, but anyway, the sun's almost down. Um, and so we figure shit, like it, it took us like 30 minutes to climb up this fucking thing. Like we, we better get down it. So we start uh, descending it. Um, but inadvertently, like not, all, not at all on purpose, we, we descend a different face of the mountain than we ascended by accident. Um, and so we walk towards the only lights we can see and we run into this dude. Um, and no, like the only lights we can see is this other like, Bedouin camp. Um, cause there's all these Bedouin camps all over, all over the desert. Like not, yeah. I mean, they're pretty small. Um, but, um, that's, it's like a business. Um, there's, uh, like Bedouin families have like these encampments in the desert and they like host tourists or foreigners, or whoever wants to go visit yeah. the desert. Um, and so, uh, we get back to this camp we run into this guy and like, oh man. And he says to us, he goes, you guys must be the Americans. I'm like, ah, shit. Well, what the fuck does that even mean? Like, yes, we are Americans. I don't know if we are the Americans. Um, and so uh, we're like, all right, what the fuck is going on? And then he's like, oh, I'm not going to help you. Fuck you guys. I hate you. <laughs> like, oh, shit. Uh, we're going to die in the desert. 
Um, and uh, then he's like, okay, like, yalla, yalla, fine, I'll help you get, get in the car. So he puts his literally in the trunk of this car. And yeah, eh, not exactly the trunk, but the, you know, the back of the pickup truck. Um, and there's no benches this time. So we're just sitting like bopping around on the back of the fucking pickup truck. Me and the, the girl I was with. She start, and then the back of the pickup truck window was open. And so she starts explaining to me, because um, she was like one of the like leaders or whatever of the program. So she starts explaining to me what was going on. Um, and because I had no idea. But the back of the pickup, like the door between the driver's seat and the back was open. Um, and they spoke English. So she starts explaining this to me. I guess I spoke French. So she starts explaining this to me in French so that they can understand um, like what the hell is going on. So apparently um, this dude, like the State Department had been booking like this campsite or whatever with with this one Bedouin family for the past 15, 20 years, however, whatever. Um, and every year they book with the same family. Um, and this year the state department like thought they had booked with, with the same family. And then we get a call, like, I don't know, three days before we're supposed to go saying like, why the fuck didn't you book with us this year? You book with us every year. What the hell? And we're like, we did, we booked with this guy named Ahmed. And they're like, nah, like he's from a totally different part of the family. Cause these are like huge Bedouin families, like tribes, essentially. I mean, there's like, they're enormous families. Um, I'm like, nah, he's from a different part of the family. We're having like a family feud right now. Like that's not the one you usually stay at. He's a totally different campsite. He lied to you. I'm like, oh, fuck. Well, you know, fuck you, Ahmed. So we call Ahmed. We cancel like 30 reservations, pull them out from under his ass at the last minute um, and rebook with the normal family. He gets really pissed. He calls us like, I don't know, or the, the girl like leading the program, he calls him like a hundred times in the next three days. Like his uncles are calling. Is Like everyone's calling, you know, why'd you pull it from us? No, it's fine. But it wasn't because like Ahmed lied and we wanted to book with the family we knew was like safe and, and like a nice campsite. And so um, I pulled 30 reservations from out, out from under this guy's ass at the last minute. And then of all the fucking people in the entire Jordanian desert that we could run into, we run into the one guy under whose ass we just, you know, out from whose ass we just pulled 30 reservations. Like literally the only person in the desert who has something against us. Um, and how he knew we were those Americans, I have no idea. I can't imagine there were that many Americans in the Jordanian desert that weekend. So, you know, lucky guess maybe. So we're driving around in this pickup truck. We stop another, like we're driving around for a while. We have these shitty little Nokia phones. There's no reception. Driving around, bopping around in the back of the trunk. And the car stops and another car pulls up. And we're like, this is the end. What the fuck? I'm going to like, get out of the car. <laughs> like, what are, we, what are we gonna run? Where are we gonna run? We're in the fucking desert. Um, and then they're like, get into this car. And we're like, fuck, <laughs> okay. So we get into the other car. Cause like, it, first of all, like it, it's not suitable to like survive in a, in a desert alone at night. There's all kinds of shit out there. Animals. Were they like holding you at gunpoint during all this? So how hostile was this? Nah, nah, nah. There were no guns. It was just, it was just scary. Like, um, then, so we, we get out of the first car, we get in the second one. And we had to get in the third one at one point. They drive us around for, for like 45 minutes. And eventually we got back to our camp. There was no gun, but it was definitely pretty intimidating. Like we're in their cars, in the trunks of their cars. Um, like they know the terrain. We're totally at their mercy. And, and he's pissed at us. So um, I don't know. But eventually, you know, you roll with the punches. And 
Um, it was it was definitely a bit scary at the time, but I don't know. That's that's yeah, one. There's absolutely nothing you can fucking do in that story. situation. Nothing you can do. Like you're you're totally at their mercy. So yeah, I can see how that would scare the living shit out of you. Oh, run, run, maybe. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm scared shitless just thinking about being in that situation. I'd, I'd probably rather die call. by just getting shot by people who kidnap me than like <laughs> just... dying alone out in the fucking desert, anyways. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, and I would be nervous. I'm extremely nervous about that being a 29 year old. I can only imagine being, you know, 17, 18 years old being in that situation. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know the whole, the entire story about the deportation or, or your boss being shot. I'll leave that for the readers. We don't want to give everything away. I think that was a great story to give to the listeners, though, for sure. Um, but obviously, your, your book is not all about just crazy experiences you've had in other countries. Um, you do spend some time talking about your, your college education. Um, you, you went to Princeton. You were accepted to several Ivy League schools, I believe, right? Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you were doing something right. And, um, uh, and, obviously, and we'll get into uh, one of the chapters. I think it was chapter five, if I remember correctly, where you focus specifically on your time at Princeton, which you're still currently enrolled there, correct? You haven't graduated yet? No, nah, I'm in my last, I'm in my like final semester there. I'm in... Gotcha. Okay. So, in your spring. Yeah. First yeah. off, I just started classes this week. Oh, you just started classes this week. Awesome. All right. Well, I guess it sucks at the same time, but at the same time, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's good. Kind of both. Um, so I guess I have well, one question is why the hell are you in Australia? Um, <laughs> I came to study abroad. Um, the short answer is I came to study abroad, uh, my junior spring. So this is a year ago. Uh, in five days, uh, it would be exactly 12 months ago. Um, I came to study abroad and just to do one semester here. And then I had a, a job lined up in Hollywood that I was, I was going to go and return to like the, you know, the real world or the world that I knew anyway. Um, and a few weeks into uh, studying abroad, um, which is a great experience, uh, COVID hit. And um, I sort of took a gamble and decided to stay in Australia. The situ- I'm from New York City and the situation in, in Australia was uh, significantly better or in, in Sydney was significantly better than, than what it was in New York City at the time. And so uh, I, I sort of took a bet um, or a gamble and, and decided to stay risking, um, risking getting stranded here, which I sort of have been. Um, and worst, worst places uh, to get stranded, I guess. Yeah, though, right? it could be. Yeah. There, there, there are worse places to get stranded. Um, and so... Uh, I, I stayed. Um, I completed my uh, my study abroad semester remotely, um, and uh, you know I, I started traveling, staying at hostels, going all over the place. I was like zooming into classes from, um, or I mean, you know, from from all kinds of like places where you wouldn't typically think you're going to take a class, like forests and whatever, um, and so. Uh, uh, basically I came to study abroad. I stayed, I did, uh, in, and I just never left and everything's, everything's been on, been on zoom. Um, and so, uh, 
I'm I'm doing Princeton now through through Zoom, um, and it's been a great experience. I've been able to travel a lot around Australia. The situation's almost completely normal here, so the the gamble paid off. Um, in a lot of places, there's no restrictions at all. Here, life is normal. People go to the office, uh, cafes, restaurants are open. Um, no one wears masks. Uh, the only the only thing that's not normal is that there aren't like nightclubs, um, but bars, all of that is open. For a while, there was a rule where you had to like like sit down in a bar, um, like rather than like move around and dance or whatever. But um, there's there's like no COVID here. There's been no COVID. There was no. There's been zero cases anywhere in the entire country for I think two or three weeks now. Wow! And, well, don't don't rub uh, it in our face. All yes. right? we, we get that. <laughs> we get it. Part. We get it. Life's yeah. great in Australia. <laughs> yeah. So I know, but I've been living, working, studying here uh, for the last for the last year or so. Um, and it, it was it, it's just another example of just um, taking a risk and and just like. Um, and saying, fuck it, like I, I, I came to study abroad and w- with the intention of leaving in three months and then COVID happened and it totally upended everything. Like I, my, my, my job, like the job that I thought I would be doing, um, my studies, uh, my, my whole life, basically, my, my life was in the United States. Um, but uh, I quickly, you know, rolled with the punches and, and, and built a life for myself here. So in, in you know, COVID, COVID certainly, I, I wish it didn't happen, but um Without COVID, I, w- I wouldn't have uh, met a lot of the, a lot of like my closest friends who I've met here now. So it's sort of just like making the most of um, of a bad situation. Yeah, yeah. And so you say because you you commented that you know the experience studying abroad right has been great with Princeton, but you were uh, pretty critical of the experience that you had when you were you know on campus here in the states. So um, I actually was reading uh, an op-ed in the Daily Princetonian uh, mm. about the book. Uh, what'd you say? Yeah, there were a few. So oh, really? One. Oh, uh, you said, okay, yeah. I I mean... It, I think um, I know. Yeah. 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 yeah, they, they, referenced, they referenced the Post article. I, I forgot who wrote it, but... Yeah, it's um, titled, what, can, what, what We Can Learn from the Scott Newman Controversy. That yeah, was, yeah, yeah. That was, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the core of the article, right, is, is obviously defensive of the university, um, you know, and kind of going against some of the claims that you had made about the culture there. And that culture had turned you, you said, into a, a social climbing weasel. So I'm interested to hear you explain, like, what you meant when you said that. Sure, a few things. First of all, that the social climbing weasel coat was taken out of context from from another like part of the book, um, but uh, the, in in the way that it was referenced in the in your post article, and then subsequently went yeah. through the right, right. the Princeton thing. But you know, my my goal with with um, the Princeton chapter and then the New York Post article, which. Uh, hadn't you know I, I don't think that that necessarily represented the book in, in the way that I wanted to be represented it, it is very much not a book about Princeton there's one chapter out of 22 in there about it but um, my goal was really just to point out these two uh, two main issues with um, with higher education and one is this admissions process which is just absurd and doesn't make any any sense um, uh, like I wanted to point out the that the, the 
admissions system, the whole admission system is, is a broken and, and flawed system that is really damaging to, to kids for one. And two, I wanted to point out that um, within, within these universities themselves, particularly within like the creme de la creme, if you want to call it that, um, like within Princeton, um, there's this sort of just, I think, unhealthy obsession with like goal-oriented materialism and people just sort of um, getting uh, just sort of uh, prestige seeking and in, in, in trying to get to the top um, or, or not even to the top, but what they think the top is, which is uh, working in a few select industries without um, uh, questioning um, what they're doing or without much, um, you know, like really questioning what they're doing along the way. And certainly I don't think it's a problem that's unique to Princeton. Um, I think it's you know, uh, emblematic of uh, like higher education at large. It's a problem within a lot of universities. There's a reason that um, at almost all these schools, uh, the most popular majors like computer science and economics and like all these other subjects are being orphaned to, to these two like mega majors um, everywhere. And, uh, you know, you, you go to college thinking that um, you're going to like open your mind and, and, and come out um, really with, with more, uh, more like more of an open mind. But I felt in a lot of ways, um, like academically, politically, socially, that students in general tended to, to come out of college a little bit more closed-minded than, um, than open-minded, which I thought, uh, I, I found it to be strange. Um, and so I, I wrote about my experience and what I know, which was uh, Princeton. Um, and so with, with uh, you know, and, you know the, the, some, some Princeton students didn't take kindly to this, um, I got a lot of uh, feedback and praise from a lot of Princeton students. Actually, um, like the most of the reviews have been have been overwhelmingly positive. Um, well, nobody wants to hear that stuff, but, Scott. You know that. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, so, <laughs> that's not as grabby, I, clearly. No, no. I mean, I think I think uh, for a lot of um, for a lot of kids, it's, it's hard to to sort of introspect a little bit um, and. You know, I wasn't leveling an attack on on anyone personally. I was I was very much talking about my own experience. And so for that uh, article that you referenced, I haven't read it in a while. Um, and there's been so many other articles, positive, negative interviews. I, I can't keep track of them at this point. Um, but uh, I think if if I remember correctly, you know, he's basically what the criticism was was um, well, uh, that's not true. It's it's which is sort of baffling because you know I'm not talking. Well, I really about said it was just about you having the agency to make your own choices, right? And the experience yeah. is the experience that you make. That was really their point. Yeah, um, and, and and that's fair enough. Um, so uh, well, I think we all have. Yeah. Like, look, I, I don't think I don't really disagree with you on your two main points, right, about, you know, the whole applications process and, you know, going into uh, college from high school, that whole process, you know, um, probably isn't helpful, right, or effective. And, you know, I, I you know, I, I don't disagree, I guess, that there's, you know, uh, a weird culture sometimes in, within higher education. I mean, we rail against higher ed all the time, um, but like, how do you change that? Like you can write about it, but like, how do we, how, how does that change? Sure. Um, the admissions process. 
Sure, you can start with that. I mean, if you, I'm interested to hear your take and see if, like, you know, you feel like there's a better way to do it other than, you know, how how we've done it for like years. As you put it, like resume building is kind of like we've been, you know, conditioned to feel that, like, you know, the the larger your resume is, the better opportunities you're going to get. So clearly, it seems like you're somewhat against that. So how would you go about changing that whole process? I mean, in obviously, like in an, in an ideal world, the the admissions system wouldn't be so heavily weighted towards becoming some kind of like superstar superhero candidate where, you know, they're taking, you know, at this point, they're taking sing, single digits um, with the top schools like the year I applied to Princeton was like 6% of, of the applicant pool. And I think in some ways that that really robs um, teenagers of, of being able to do things that they're like really uh, passionate about and that they're really interested in and, you know, like playing on sports teams and, and like, uh, like just doing, having a, like a normal high school experience in the same ways that, that our parents had. Um, I think uh, for one, um, you know, like making it more like reasonable uh, to, to get in. Um, and it's not to say like, make it easier necessarily to get in, but um, make it certainly more based on um, like character. I think now it's, it's, it, it is very much based. Yeah, but how like, do you judge become, character? Right. I mean, that's a hard thing. Um, hold on one second. My, I have to plug in my computer. It's about to die. Um, no and problem. then our interview no problem. One second. guess we'll cut this part out yeah unless you wanted to do like a monologue like you did last time it might hey did you register for your oh uh-oh did he really just hop off i don't know well that that just goes to show you how good of an interview we are i guess so Scared him off. <laughs> Wait, I can't. I mean, you'll get an alert if he tries to come back on. Yeah, right? yeah. That'd be fucking awesome if that he just did. Be insane if that was what made him leave. I thought it was going pretty well. No, I was kidding. We didn't ask him any fucking tough questions. He just probably was like, all right, but I was not expecting this at fucking 10 in the morning. I'm fucking out of here. I guess so. And by going well, I don't know. I thought we were just making it flow, I guess. I didn't think that was that hard hitting of a question. Uh, no, it wasn't at all. <laughs> there's no way that's... There's no way he left because he didn't want to... No, I don't think anymore. so either, but it, but maybe. <laughs> I <laughs> he's guess. Not, I mean, he's I'm not, not going to fucking yet. sit here all night. Yeah. No, he's not even back yet. I mean, I thought he did a fine job. I thought he, you know, handled himself fine. I mean, he's fucking young. Dude, he just he's, he's 22. I mean, he just became <laughs> the legal drinking drinking age not too long ago. Eight years 
or six years or seven years ago seems like fucking forever ago. Yeah. So, but I mean, I, I don't know. I, I thought that was going, obviously they're not the hardest hitting questions, but uh, I thought it was flowing smoothly overall, considering it's our first interview. <laughs> I wonder, <laughs> yeah, right. Good start. Good start. I wonder if, uh, I should get like a, a scathing email from the PR check. That wouldn't be good. She could ruin oh, us. She could, ta- she could take us yeah. down. Fuck. Oh, no, here he comes. He's back. All right. Forget everything we said. <laughs> Scott, you there? Can you hey, hear Hey, guys, us? can you hear me? We got you. Yeah, we got you. We, <laughs> well, we weren't sure what happened oh. there for a sec. <laughs> yeah, we can hear you. Sorry, sorry. I, my computer was literally at 1%. I saw it. I was like, shit, I got to plug this in. And then it died. Um, uh, where were we? How do you judge character? Um, look, I mean, I think for a lot of this, I was, I was, you know, th- there's no easy answer to this um, or easy answer to like fixing the, the broken college admission system. I think if anything, I was trying to, you know, like start a conversation so that people yeah. themselves could could uh, introspect a little bit or like the, the admissions committees themselves can introspect a little bit and and consider solutions. Um, and, you know, I don't think there's necessarily uh, like one easy like fill in the blank uh, solution. But certainly I think starting a conversation is, is the first step to, to solving any issue. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I was putting you on the spot there. Um, so, you know, what what. What would you combat with like that statement with uh, well, not statement, but that that core, you know, um, reason why the article was written, right, was to complain about how you could have, you know, chosen a different experience if you wanted to. And, you know, you're and you, we don't even have to take it in, in the lens of just Princeton. Right. But take it in, you know, the, the lens of looking at all universities, like we said. Right. Because, I mean, it, it's prevalent. Um, so, like. Is it just what you make it? Is there really a problem or, you know, is it more just kind of personal choice? I think certainly there, there is a problem. I mean, you look uh, like holistically um, at, you look at universities across the spectrum and you look at like economics and computer science are the two most popular majors at almost every school now, Princeton and, hello, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. We got you. Um, You look yeah, Princeton or, or almost every school like uh, computer science and economics are just by the numbers the most popular majors. Um, and you ask yourself, uh, why is that? Um, and, you know, it's it's uh, because like there's this almost idea like that the telos, the ultimate goal is to go into the industries that that perhaps these um, these majors lead to um, and all these other departments um, are, are being orphaned. And, you know, you go to a place like for, for a liberal arts education, you go and you learn about all kinds of stuff. Um, and uh, you, you look at these schools um, where like two majors have, have sort of just become like mega clusters where all students are like running into. Um, and so I, I think um, it, w- with all the other departments being being orphaned to them. So I think while certainly there's always agency, like everything is like a choice, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, there's there's a, there's there's definitely my, there's definitely a culture um, within Princeton, within higher education and, and more broadly like within uh, within America that, that trends towards uh, like particular things. Um, and so uh, it, it's I think every step along the way is 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 very much. Um, just being uh, being aware of of your own agency and 
and you know not just like rebelling against the the norms or the current just for the sake of it but um really asking yourself along the way is this something i i really want to do do i really want to uh join this club or is it just going to help me get to xyz or do i really want to major in this or is it just now yeah. get to xyz um and if the answer is if the answer is yes, like I'm, you know, I'm passionate about this. This is what's good for me. Like I, I, I woke up one morning and when I was, you know, I know I want to do this and I know I have to like check these boxes in order to get there. That's fine. Um, but I think um, definitely there is uh, to a lot. And I'm not the only person um, saying this. This is very much a, a, a widely felt sentiment, I think. Um, at uh, at Princeton and, and at um, at universities at large, um, and even you know outside of the the academic context, um, to sort of uh, just like adhere to the norms, like follow the sheep, or and not not I'm not like calling people sheep, but like you know sheep's going herds. Um, and uh, I think uh, basically just really stopping and, and questioning yourself along the way is is what I would. Uh, yeah. recommend if that makes sense yeah i agree with yeah you. definitely I think that's important i think it's you know impressive to be able to kind of recognize you know while you're going through it that you know this isn't what i want to do and be able to shift gears and change so um we'll, we'll let you out of here with one last question I, i'm curious where you see yourself say a decade from now right and like i'm curious just kind of going back to what we just talked about do you foresee any scenario where you're sitting here in 10 years saying like, fuck, man, I wish I just like stayed in the mainstream corporate life and like got a normal job as opposed to like pursuing this uh, life of being a writer. Um, yeah, I think that's difficult to say because hindsight obviously is, is 2020 and I very much uh, might go find a quote unquote uh, normal job um, and, and sort of do it my own way as long as I'm making that choice for me but at least uh like i don't want to rule anything out but at least right now for me i see myself working um in in books journalism or movies um and uh writing like writing is what i've always been passionate about it's what what i'm good at um and it seems to to resonate with people and that's not to say that everyone needs to to go be a you know some sort of writer um it's it's more more to say um you know just ask yourself what what do you want to wake up and be doing um every morning, like it's obviously a bit of cliched uh, advice, but think about like, um, you don't want to wake up and be 40 and ask yourself where the last, where the last uh, 20 years went. Um, um, and uh, for me, uh, like what, what I want to be doing when I know I wake up every morning being uh, passionate about is, is writing and for other people that could be literally anything. Maybe that is um, uh, working at a bank or maybe that is, uh, whatever um but uh the only thing you you can't get back i've learned is is time um you can you can you can get uh money back by by you can always make money work, working yep. the next job you can get uh you know um you can make new friends whatever but but you can't get your time you, you can't get your time back you can't get the relationships you would have had back you can't get um your own like lived experience back and we haven't i watched tenant last night actually um but um that was a complete the, mind you know, did you understand what was going on in that movie because i sure didn't Nah, i watched it twice and uh i mean, <laughs> had an idea after, after the first time i read the the you know, a, a, a very long and detailed summary that I explained scene by scene, but still, 
Um, ah, what, we'll have you on film, next time but, to do. Um, we'll, we'll have you on next time to review Tenet when you understand it. How about that? That you know that 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 sounds good. I, well, if if I understand it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, uh, that was uh, Scott Newman, uh, author of the memoir "The Night Before the Morning After." Uh, Scott, appreciate it, man. Uh, we enjoyed it, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Thanks for coming on, Scott. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, take it easy. Yeah, take care, guys. Have a good one. Bye. All right. Scott A. First interview in the books. Yeah. I give myself, give ourselves A+. Dealt with adversity. Fucking hung up on us technical difficulties I, I, I thought he i thought he was good i, I thought he he represented himself actually very well better than i expected uh you know after you know reading some of the book right i mean um so yeah hope you enjoyed it and uh we will talk to you later peace love you guys